Welcome back to another episode of the All Aces Podcast. I'm really excited to bring this one to you guys. Uh, this one's really close to home, actually. Uh, so we got a big name out of Isaiah coming in. We got Cody Gibson. We're going to go over a little bit of his background, everything. So you guys better stay tuned for this. Let's get into it. I've been super excited, bro, because um, a lot of your story kind of resonates with a portion of my lifetime or like my life. Um, and like Nate was saying earlier, man, like you, you really have been putting on for the Valley and uh, you're inspiring a lot of people out here, man, that because um, obviously the MMA sport has grown a lot since you first started back in 2014 or even a little bit before that, you know, and um, I, I think your story, man, like the grit and kind of carrying that chip on your shoulder and like just really never giving up, dude. And like just every time adversity shows up, you kind of just like give it a flying knee, you know, um, <laughs> and, and dude, it's 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 badass, man. Um, yeah, it's just like looking at like just doing a little bit of research, man, like some of the stuff that I was like, dude, that's so crazy. Like um, it's just a badass story, bro. And I know that us telling your story, man, and you sharing some of the stuff that maybe people haven't heard is really going to impact a lot of people and um, in a really positive way, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for this one, dude. Yeah, we can't wait, bro. We, we talked about this one before. Whenever we first started the podcast uh, a couple months back and then especially as of recently, we always have like a list of like podcast guests we want to get on the podcast. And we're like, okay, well, how can we brainstorm to get that podcast guest on the pod? And this was one of the ones, bro, we had circled for a while. We were kind of like masterminding. All right, so like who knows this guy? Who knows this guy? How can we get him on the podcast? So, uh, we're, yeah, we're super excited. Like these guys said, uh, please help us welcome Cody Gibson to the Always Podcast. Thank you for coming, bro. Cheers. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I saw you guys. I saw your podcast, the production value. Like, it was cool to see, like, someone from the Valley. Like, you guys look like the big big time, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know anything about the podcast game, but, like, when I watched your guys, I went back and watched a couple episodes, and I was like, dude, they do it, like, legit, so... Uh, I appreciate that. You know, yeah, that means a lot coming through. Yeah, it does. Uh, so to, to kick things off, dude, um, I want to get a little bit into, like, a little bit of your background, right? So um, you weren't born in Visalia, right? We were born in Oklahoma, I believe? Yeah, a little town, Blackwell, Oklahoma, uh, in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Tough the year and Getting everything. old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was born in Oklahoma, and then I was in foster care, me and my brother, and then... Uh, we ended up getting adopted and moving to Visalia in 89. So mm -hmm. I was two, he was three. And, uh, yeah, so we grew up here, you know, this is home to me, you know, but, uh, yeah, born and I've gone to Oklahoma a couple of times since. So it's cool to go back and, you know, see people and it's a different world out there. Yeah. You know? I so, imagine, uh, man. It's kind of good. I think to expose yourself to different environments and like how people live, Yeah. you know, and, you're, and it makes you think about like how you live, you know, and like, Oh, maybe, I don't know. Like sometimes, just I put myself in those situations, and you kind of see things. And so the last trip I went back two years ago, and I spent a couple of weeks back there, and uh, it was fun, man. It's a lot of fishing. It's fun. A lot of fishing. You like fishing? Yeah, I like to fish. Hey, you know, Mark is a he's a big fisher right there, man. That's the fisherman. That's his main I'm, thing he does right there. Look, uh, lake fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting into sea fishing now because I'm over the coast, so yeah. I've been doing a lot of deep sea fishing and. That's fun too. So I don't is really. I'm not very fishing? good, but like if I go with someone who really knows their stuff and they could help me, you know. Is the sickness really like a thing? Like whenever, because I heard when you go out deep sea fishing, it's like a big thing. You have to take pills. You have to like take those nauseous pills. And I don't have to. Um, I went about two weeks ago, and I had uh, two of my cousins come into town, and they all drank a lot of alcohol the night before. <laughs> oh, and I wasn't. I don't. I'm not. I wasn't drinking. So. Um, and I, I had to, like, cut my cousin off, one of them. I was like, hey, man, <laughs> we have to get there by 8 a.m. or something, you know, in Morro Bay. We got to be there. 
And so, anyway, they were all throwing up the whole time. And I don't know how much of it was seasickness and how much of it was hangover. They were just hungover. <laughs> you cut them off. Just let them keep going. Let them keep going. So, yeah. But for me, uh, I know some people, they, what do they take? What is that stuff called? Dr- some of the D. Like, drab I don't even know. Dramatone or something like that. I feel like you would need that, honestly. I, yeah. I feel like you would probably be the one that needs it. If you get car sick, you know, then you're probably going to get seasick. Yeah. It depends who's driving. Like, if he's driving, definitely. Yeah, I'm a little bit. Hitting those corners fast right there. Aside from Carsick, bro, I know you. So you said you grew up here in Visalia. I, you went to Mount Whitney, right? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And then I met Whitney. I know that you were um, wrestling, mm-hmm. wrestling, right? Okay. Talk yeah, about once, I, once I found wrestling, like, so I was getting in a lot of trouble. Elementary school, I was getting suspended constantly. My grade, I was always decent in school, like the academic side of things, mm-hmm. but like just a lot of anger, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, I always had a chip on my shoulder, and I wasn't like a bully. I was like the guy who, like, saw a bully teasing someone else and then i would like interject and like Mm. or put myself in positions to be like that i know they would respond to oh now you're talking shit so oh i guess we got to fight you know (laughs) he's like yes i have to like i would put myself in positions like that on purpose because i think i just like to fight and i don't know i just always had a chip on my shoulder and so i was getting a lot of trouble junior high same shit like always getting in trouble getting suspended and then my freshman year i got suspended like the first week of school (laughs) We're getting right. in a fight, and then, uh, and then I found wrestling, and once I found wrestling, it like changed everything. So it wasn't your blood to do that right off the bat, huh? You were like the first kick ass. You guys in the movie Kick Ass, where he just goes and like kicks people's ass, like as like a superhero. Yeah. You're like doing that basically, and like <laughs> no, I was high. getting my ass kicked some of the times. You know? <laughs> well, he did too in that movie, so I guess it kind of was like right there. I, I took some beatings, but because um, I didn't know how to fight, you know. But I liked in the it. Beginning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just. Once I found wrestling, and then all of a sudden it was like, so you're telling me in this controlled environment with these rule sets, but I pretty much still get to beat someone's ass, <laughs> you know? Like that's kind of what it is, though. Yeah. It is. Wrestling is yeah. two bulls colliding, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so then I straightened up, you know, like my life straightened up, and then I had fo- I had a, I had something not only for a sense of identity and purpose, but like I had like something to like a reason sh- to go to school, a reason to do well in school, a reason to go to college, you know, like all mm. the things. So for me, I always try to advocate to kids like sports. For guys like me and a lot of other dudes and girls, I'm sure, like sports keep you – without sports and education, like a lot of us wouldn't have made it, you know? Yeah. So. It's like I that like structure, too, of sports, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You get to learn a lot from sports. It teaches you a lot of life lessons. Mm-hmm. I feel like people look at sports and like, oh, I get to play this sport. But there's a lot of life lessons that you learn from your coaches and the structure with it, from like training program, eating. So I, I agree, especially for kids. Even if you don't have problems, it's a really good way for you to kind of get that structure in and kind of figure out to learn things about life, too. Yeah, I mean, like how many? Outlet, for sure. Oh, yeah. I was saying, it's really like an outlet, like you were saying, bro. I mean, if you like fighting, that's something you like to do, or you have just so much energy to get out. Being in a controlled environment, bro, like you said, it's just like two bulls colliding where you can really just let loose, and there's a referee to break it up. At the end of the day, all that energy, all that eager or that anger, you know, that stuff that you had, you can let it out and you don't yeah. get in trouble for it. So Exactly. Stop getting <laughs> suspended. With Actually, the people <laughs> praise you when you let it out on the mat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool. You know, I could really um, – uh, that's a really good point you brought up, dude, because I was the same way. Um, I grew up, I came from Mexico, and then I was living with my family for the first few years. And then eventually, my family, financially, we weren't doing well at all. So uh, one of my best friends at the time, I told him, hey, dude, I think, because my mom was like, hey, I think we're going to go back to Mexico. And I was like, that's crazy. We just came here, you know. Um, I was like about 12 when I got here. So his family ended up adopting me. It was never, like, legit on paper, but, like, they took me and you know, moved in. And uh, same thing, dude, you know, you always have that chip on your shoulder. And looking back at it, bro, kind of the way you described it was perfect. Because I did have a lot of, like, kind of, like, fuck you, like, a lot of anger in me, you know, and I just 
you just have it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's you just kind of have it. You still and, have uh, I know, it, huh? You still have that shit. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it never really goes away. You know? Yeah. Um, and you're always trying to prove people wrong. You're always trying to, you know, prove yourself that you can do the things that you know you, you think you can do, and prove people wrong when they say that you can't do things, right? And I found that for me it was football. Um, it was like the perfect way, dude. Where you know it gave me something to do. You know, kept me out of trouble. I showed up, went to practice, trained, ate. Um, and all that stuff, dude. And uh, it really kind of was like a like a savior in a sense because, I mean, dude, without that, like, I don't know what I would do with all the extra energy, you know? Kind of like you were, you were getting in trouble and stuff. Um, I was never much of a fighter, I'll be honest with you. But, um, yeah, dude, so that that one, that, that definitely rings home, man. We had, uh, I remember when I was teaching at El Diamante and we had the police department come in for, like, a training. And the dude, uh, the officer, uh, put, was out there doing a PowerPoint. He puts this, like, pie chart on the board and he said, this is the uh, the percentage of incidents we have with youth with the police department. Here's our graph. And between 3 and 5 o'clock, it was like this giant spike, you know? And they're like, so this is the time that kids, well, what's going on? They're not in school, and their parents are still at work, mm. you know? like. And so what you do between 3 and 5 as a kid, as a high school kid, you know, are you going to – either you're doing sports or some sort of band or something. You're involved in drama, whatever it is. If you're not involved in anything, like chances are you're you're involved with something you shouldn't be involved in. You know? <laughs> so it just is what it is. So, so uh, you're a stand-up wrestler at Mount Whitney, right? And then that transfer over, and from what I've read, it was uh, you are a two-time All-American JUCO wrestler, right? So I, I want to get into that a little bit, bro. So when did you really figure out, like, okay, shoot, um, I could really, I, I'm really good at wrestling. I want to pursue this. Uh, what what did that moment look like for you? Um, when I started wrestling, I was, uh, I started wrestling cause I didn't make the basketball team my freshman year. <laughs> uh, and I loved basketball, mm. like junior high, I was on the basketball team, but my problem was my freshman year, I was five foot four, about a buck 30, a little bit of chubby. And I just had hit my growth spurt. Mm. And then my sophomore year, I shot up to five ten, skinny, you know, and like I probably could have played basketball. Because I was pretty good, but I just wasn't big enough. So I made it all the way to the final cuts. I'd already bought my shoes, you know, uh, for the season. Uh, and then I didn't make the final cut, and I was a freaking heartbroken. Yeah. My brother had started wrestling. Uh, I have a brother who's a year older than me, and he had started wrestling seventh grade. My dad had kind of encouraged him to get into it, and uh, he was a smaller guy. And so he was, like, trying to convince me, just come out for wrestling. And then I did, and I was like, dude, I love this. Mm. It's just like it was what I was meant to do, you know? And uh, I lost my first 27 matches. Straight? Whoa. Straight, my freshman year. Damn. And I'm talking, like, bottom-of-the-barrel matches, like, frosh-off tournaments. Like, I'm, I'm wrestling the other guys who aren't good at wrestling. Wrestling yeah. a chick maybe you know? in there every now and then. <laughs> like, and I remember at a JV tournament that we hosted in Mount Whitney, I went 0-2 and got my ass kicked. And I had two black eyes. And I'm walking. My mom and me are walking to her, the, the van, you know. To, to leave and she's like well maybe you should try a different sport and I was like looked at her and I was like what are you talking about this is the funnest thing I ever did in my life <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it though so for me it was just a love of it and then I didn't play any, I quit all sports I'd wrestle year round mm. we, me and my brother were traveling we Mount Whitney didn't have like a powerhouse wrestling team our, our wrestling coach was a great guy uh, but he was a football coach and they didn't have a wrestling coach so he literally never wrestled a day in his life he was 300 like pounds like, that was our coach, and so he was great at facilitating tournaments and, like, making sure me and my brother, especially as in our junior-senior year, got to big tournaments around the country and could fundraise for it to get there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was slinging beef jerky most of high school for wrestling tournaments or camps, you know, like, always slinging beef jerky. And, um, 
yeah so i just like in just immerse myself in wrestling year round and uh that's how we got good is just we did other guys were on the team and they would be there from like october to february and you'd the see them again next october and they're like why are these two boys getting so good and it's like well we never left the wrestling room you know the mat all day every day yeah right? so um yeah man that was and then it led, led me to go to college and wrestle so it was a lot of, i wrestled uh two years at junior college in bakersfield and then uh three years up in the bay area for menlo college hmm. uh i did a little bit of time at cal state bakersfield um but then i got a better opportunity to go not D1, so I went NAI and just had a better scholarship. So yeah. uh, ended up there for three years. And then I started fighting my sophomore year of college. I took my first pro fight um, in the summertime. So I would just come back to Visalia in the summer, and I'd crash on my brother's couch. He was uh, you know, working for the school district as a janitor at night, so they'd be working like three to midnight shifts. Mm. And he had a, him and my, my, our buddy that we went to high school with were roommates, and they let me crash on the couch. I had a buddy who was training mixed martial arts. I went in there for like a week, had fun, and they were like, you want to fight? I was like, yeah, sure. So, okay, so <laughs> I, I want to stay on that real quick, dude. That's because, insane. Uh, like, so far, you know, it's just from your story, Ben, you've jumped into things, like, especially like wrestling. Um, I mean, losing 0-27, dude, I mean, a lot of people at that point, they're like, kind of like what you're wrong with saying, like, hey, you know, maybe we should try something different. But you stuck <laughs> to it, dude. And uh, because you stuck to it, though, like, now you are where you are, you know. Um, like, the hard work paid off. But also, too, dude, you, it's summer, college, and, and you're coming back, and you go and train, like, what it was like, was it like sparring, open mat, or what was it with your buddy? It was uh, a little gym in Exeter. Uh, what was the name of the gym? Scott Harper was an owner. Kind of like one of those, no disrespect to Scott Harper, but. Um, just like a mat on the floor in a building? No, just like a McDojo. Oh, okay. You know, like the dude, <laughs> you're kind of looking at him like, is this guy really a badass? Because. You don't look like he's training too much. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> and then you got into Elite too, right, in Visalia? Yeah. Was so that then, around that time? or No, so that was just – I literally went for, for a week, like did some sparring, you know, and like they were ready to throw me in there. And this was back in like 06, 07, 08, something yeah. like that. So 08 I think was my first pro fight. So it was a different uh, era of MMA. Like there was no amateur MMA. No, like, back have, then it was way different. You know, yeah. there wasn't any such thing yeah. in California at least, so – I was just at, at Indian casinos, you know, fighting for 300 bucks. Those you know? tatchy fights over like there. Spoke, fights, yeah. Like, I remember in the, I was in the back. It was at the Eagle Mountain. This was before, not even Tatchy. Tatchy was a step up. Oh, shit. E- okay. Eagle Mountain in Porterville was the first place. Oh. And uh, we're, like, in the back in a tent, you know, like, warming up or whatever. And there's, like, a dude in, like, jorts like mine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's smoking a cigarette. And he's up next. <laughs> like, oh, you know, like, shit. It was, like. Pretty janky. It was, like, it was like those Kimbo Slice. Shit. Remember those yeah, Kimbo, Kimbo Slice, slice bro? Yeah. Those fights. I still watch those to this day. <laughs> it was janky. I mean, it was a little bit. It wasn't backyard. You know, it was uh-huh. like. We were, yeah, it was regulated. Some, some it wasn't some state extent. athletic commission regulated. Oh, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Back but. in the day, if you were on the on a Native American land, you didn't have to be regulated oh. by the state. Oh shit. So that's how they got around it. So they just they, hired uh, Joe Blow as a ref, and they would hire some of the state athletic commission people, like independently, to come out and run it. You know, like referees, judges, that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, it was uh, no insurance, I'm sure, or anything like that. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> like that strike force shit, bro. That was yeah, crazy. Strike force. Damn, dude. Okay, so now you're fighting, bro. And oh, why made you fall in love with the MMA? Like, why why maybe not stick to just a wrestling thing? Like, what made you fall in love with MMA and adding that extra mixed martial art, you know, the striking part of, uh, of things? Well, a lot of wrestlers, when they uh, graduate from college, like, you don't have a lot of options. Mm. You know, it's not like you can go try to be in the majors. There's no majors for wrestling. Yeah. 
So, so many guys I was wrestled with are fighters to this day. Josh Emmett just fought in the main event um, last week. He's on a bit of a – it's tough because Josh started fighting at like 34. Whoa. He's thir- – or maybe earlier than that, maybe like 32. He had his like 30. Is, like that, is that possible? Like is that normal? Because obviously like they say most people start young, right? Young, yeah. Yeah, he started – he used to come to my fights at Tachi Palace before he ever had a fight, just as like my buddy, you know, like – Party afterwards, yeah, yeah. you know, like we got a f- couple free hotel rooms, <laughs> so we'd wreck havoc at the Tashi after the fights, you know, and uh, usually lose the <laughs> lose the thousand bucks we made gambling, you know, like yeah. stupid. He's like, so way to do it though. Hey, as long as you break even, if you break I put a thousand dollars on 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 red at a casino in Vegas one time, didn't work out. Always uh. bet black. Always bet black. <laughs> Get anything from today. So uh, anyway, like. Yeah, a lot of wrestlers get into mixed martial arts. Uh, we were, you know, I had three fights before I ever gra- before I graduated college, um, and I usually just did them in the summertime between seasons. Mm-hmm. And then, but I wasn't really taking it serious. I knew like I'm just gonna go out. I'm gonna try to double leg this dude and beat him up. You know, like Ground thank God me. I didn't run into like a killer right off the bat because they would have just smoked me. <laughs> um, and then when I graduated, I moved back here, started subbing, started coaching wrestling. And then I just started training, and then I started taking it serious. Like, I didn't know it was going to lead to, like, a career mm. per se, but um, I started learning, like, jiu-jitsu, started boxing, kickboxing, and, like, falling in love with – It's that's what's great about the sport is, like, there's so many – so much to learn, mm. you know? Like, I can go and take a freaking taekwondo class. I've never done taekwondo, and, like, I'm sure I'd have fun learning. Yeah. You know, like, even if not all of it's applicable, some of it is, you know, and, like – so I'm always learning, and, and that's what I love about it. I actually think wrestling's a harder sport than mixed martial arts, only because in wrestling, every day you do the same thing. Yep. So you're using the same muscles. You're sore, and then you have to use those muscles again the next day. And, like, mm-hmm. it's just a grind, making weight over and over in college, you know, like week after week. And you're not very smart. You would go to a tournament, and then you'd blow up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you come in Monday, oh, I got 12 pounds to lose by Thursday, you know, and, like, week after week of that. And so mixed martial arts is cool because – like, I'm going to do grappling today, and then tomorrow I'm, I'm doing kickboxing. I get to use a different muscle set, different energy system. And so, it's to me, it's easier. And that's weird to say because you're like, well, you're not punching each other in, in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. But I've, I've heard that, though, bro. I've heard in wrestling the weight cut is just, like, brutal, especially if you're you're a couple pounds over. When it, uh, coming up to the week of the fight, it's just like – They start spitting to try to lose weight. That's what it is. Dude, I they saw, get yeah. – Dude, they had the, they're, they carry around the jug. It's gritty, right? right? I've heard about they, some of those baths, They too. don't cut as much weight as MMA does. Because in MMA, we get 24 hours to recover. Um, and they only get uh, one hour for a duel and two hours for a tournament. Wow. So it's not – you can't, like, cut a ton of water and then think you're going to rehydrate appropriately. Like, so they do cut weight, though, a lot. And the, the thing about wrestling is they have to do it week after week after week, sometimes multiple times a week. Like, if you have a, a duel on Thursday night and then you have a tournament Friday, Saturday, like – you know, and then you get to college and you're like flying on airplanes to travel, and you, that adds another element to the weight cut. You know, because you're like, you're not in your environment. You can't control all the food you eat, or like, you know, things like that. Just yeah. sodium intake, all those kinds of things. Airport food only has so much food you can get, right? I mean, they have salads and stuff. But when it comes out to like your your stuff you're used to, it's probably a little different. Like I've been, I'm big into avocados. Like just eating a half of avocado. That's just like it, but like avocado by itself? Yeah. Dude, so Put some good. salt on really? it. Really? Oh, that's any, so good. Any sauce on it? Do you ever put any sauce on it, though? You better not go here, bro. I just go half an avocado. I kind of <laughs> put some Himalayan salt or some some, some some kind of salt and scoop it out and eat it. If it's, like, good and, like, not too yeah. ripe and not too, you know, it's like find that perfect one. Yeah. 
it's not too mushy. Kind of yeah. has a little crunch, a little bit. At least. <laughs> I feel. Don't tell me you put ketchup on your avocado, bro. Uh, what do you, I mean, what so do you put on it? I swear I, to I God, would, I would. So ketchup? like, I have a big thing with ketchup, bro. That's my thing. Like, he has a fetish, bro. He has a he has a he has <laughs> a ketchup, ketchup fetish. Don't we? Sugar. So here's the thing. <laughs> I get the one with zero sugar, though. I, I, oh, okay. So there's one. It's the worst. I, we'll have to pull up something what it is. There's one with no sugar, and it has, like, it has like a little bit of calories, like 10 calories per tablespoon or something. Okay. But it's way less than your average regular yeah. Heinz. Your Heinz is solid, you know. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, the different types of cats. We can go down a rabbit hole of ketchup. You but. start counting <laughs> calories, and then you look at <laughs> sauces, you know, like, yeah. oh, shit. I'm not you that realize, bad. You know what? I never really realized either for a while until I really like, look at the bar. I like bar. I'm a barbecue guy. So you look at the barbecue, and you're like, oh, shit. Sweet Baby Ray's, bro, has oh, Sweet Baby Ray's get you, bro. One of the best ones. A1. A1. Yeah, is I that just, low calorie or is it high got calorie? Like, no, like five calories, 10 calories. Oh, that's solid, bro. Which is full of salt. Oh, I mean, okay. it's super mm. salty. But I like, yeah. I, I have to have like a high sodium diet because I sweat so much. Yeah. Like I'm drinking the element teas all the time and putting them in my waters, you know. Um, but yeah, A1's a good, you could like barbecue with it, you know. With A1. Damn, I know that's that. A, that's, a, that's a pro yeah, tip. You, you put it on your steak, right? You put it on your steak. You could, but burgers. I'm saying like if you were to marinate it or something. Like a little more flavor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of like a barbecue sauce with. Yeah ton of sugar you're getting into all these promotions dude when was your first big break because i know you got into ufc what 2014 right mm-hmm. um and i know that was kind of a tricky situation we we're talking about it in the car um who was your first opponent dude who was the first opponent and how did you step into the ring in your first ever ufc match the ufc yeah the first one back in 2014 right yeah, yeah. so i think it was a blessing in disguise because i didn't like skyrocket to like 10 and 0 and have like easy fights and then go to the ufc and kind of get shut like oh i'm not at this level like, I had tough fights that I wasn't ready for coming up, and I lost, you know? Like, I think I was, like, 12-3, and three, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had had some fights where I wasn't ready. I was fighting, like, a good black belt from Vegas, and, like, I just wasn't ready for him, you know? And uh, so I think some of those, like, hurdles and, like, stumbles along the way just to get to the UFC was good for me. And then uh, my first UFC fight was against Aljamain Sterling, who's now the champ. That was, that's, a, that's crazy, bro. Uh, Damn. And he actually, after we fought, he hit me up, and uh, he's from New York. And he uh, came out here and stayed in Visalia for two weeks. Oh, shit. Um, oh. And I went, we went up and down the state and just kind of hit up a few different gyms. Uh, but he trained here in Visalia, elite team Visalia. We went to Porterville and trained with Joe Soto. Uh, and then we were down south a lot of the time in Huntington, Costa Mesa area. But... Yeah, he was like, it was weird because he, like, met my family and stuff, and we, like, just fought each other, like, <laughs> yeah. two weeks before, you know? That's, like, a respect of the sport, too, I feel. I feel like... I think it was just because we were both came from wrestling. We were both making our UFC debuts the same day. Because you just, fought on a 10-day notice, though, right? Yeah, we, and he, he took the fight on rel- a little bit longer, but not much. It was, like, a few weeks. Mm. Like, so he had replaced someone else. That was, there was supposed to, supposed to be a bantamweight fight. One dude drops off. He gets the call. So he gets plugged in. Then the other dude gets dropped out. So then I get the call. <laughs> and so, like, it wasn't much time for either of us, you know. Um, so, yeah, we've just kind of stayed in touch ever since. And Whenever you cool. face him the first time, bro, is there something that he had where you're like, you, you can sense that he was going to be a champion along the way? Or, or is it like he developed his game along the way? I think for Aljamain, he always stayed true to who he was. Like, he was – like, I've, I was a wrestler who fell in love with boxing. Mm. Like, if you watch most of my fights now – a lot of the time, they're stri- mainly striking. Mm-hmm. Like, unless I feel the need to mix it up and go takedowns, or if I'm finding someone who I know, like, hey, I got an advantage on the ground, yeah. I'm going to take him down, and that's going to be my game plan. But more often than not, I just like to strike. Whereas Aljamain stayed, he just was, he knew like wrestling and my style of wrestling and how he kind of molds that with his jujitsu. Like, he, he never like strayed from that. And a lot of wrestlers, I feel like they get a lot of pressure 
to become strikers. Mm. You know, like you see two wrestlers a lot of times it's just like they're standing there and trading punches the whole time and not even utilizing the thing that got them there at all, you know? Yeah. And so um, I think for him, he just stayed true to himself and got better and better at grappling, got better and better at striking, but he, everything's mi- he mix he mixes it all up so well. And he, even though he's not like the best striker per se, like he's able to like use his length, mix it up and then always transition to his wrestling so much and make strikers, you know, hesitant to strike with them because they're always afraid of the takedown and it's just, he's persistent. And so he just, yeah, I learn a lot from him to this day, but I still want to fight him again. (laughs) Get that rematch, get it ready. What's your, what's your take on that, uh, that weight class in the UFC right now, all the competition they have, they have a lot of good guys coming up. What's your take on, on that weight class? It's turned into like one of the funnest weight classes in the UFC. Yeah. It's just such so much depth. Even if you look down the roster, like guys that are ranked 13th, 14th, 15th, guys that are unranked, you're like, that dude's not ranked. Like he's a savage, you know. Mm-hmm. Like whereas five years ago, ten years ago, like you start looking down in the bottom of the ranking, you're like, oh, these guys aren't that aren't that good, you know. But now it's like, <laughs> it's getting loaded. ridiculous, you know. Like so many good guys, and so yeah, it's fun to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun matchups in the future. He, he's fighting uh, O'Malley coming up, right? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. what's your uh, official prediction for the Aljamain versus O'Malley? I mean, obviously, if O'Malley sleeps him, that's possible. Mm-hmm. But and O'Malley's jiu-jitsu is pretty good. He does a lot of uh, competitions. And one thing I'll say about O'Malley is that he doesn't um, he doesn't stray away from losing, like in uh, outside of MMA. Like, he'll go to jiu-jitsu competitions and put himself in positions where he knows he's likely going to lose. Like, this guy's trains jiu-jitsu six days a week he's on the pro circuit for jiu-jitsu which is blowing up nogi jiu-jitsu is like becoming its own industry yeah, I've seen that, yeah. and he'll put himself in those positions he'll lose matches and he takes it but he knows like i'm taking all this knowledge and all these experiences back to what i'm really doing which is mixed martial arts is my focus and so i think guys like that who are willing to put themselves in like i i wish i like, i i wish i had done some pro boxing like you know like just to even if i wasn't like just to do it, you know, to c- compete, you know. And I did a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments too, and so O'Malley does have pretty good jiu-jitsu, but I think, yeah, if uh, Aljamain gets a hold of him and gets him down, gets his back, yeah, it could be trouble. I, I, if I had to put money on it, I'd, I'd, I'd put money on Aljamain. He just, I feel like he smothers his opponents, bro, yeah, especially yeah. on the ground. <laughs> like exactly what you said, bro. If he puts I've him on his back. I've learned a lot from him, and I've used a lot of uh, – I've talked to him about his – he calls it the backpack, the human backpack – if he gets your back yeah. and we're the same height, like we're r- relatively the same size, we're big for the weight class. My last fight before I got in the show, um, I get that back and I get that body triangle and it's pretty much all she wrote. Like yeah. you're not getting out. Like, yeah. We're long. You're linky, that body yeah. triangle is freaking tight too. And it's mm-hmm. hard to get off of you. So I picked that up from him and I started using it cause I'm like, dude, we're the same size, like same length, you know, it, you do have to be long for it, mm-hmm. but. So I started utilizing it too, you know. He's I feel really like it's good. different, bro, because your size and your in your weight class is not really too common, bro. So if you oh, use yeah. it to the right way, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a big advantage. Like big you said. like with your first fight too, like I was looking at that too. You had the length over that guy and everything too. The reach was like kind of the same, but you you, you utilize that in such a way in that fight. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's why you handled it so well. That was a good fight too. That's the thing about MMA is you see sometimes you'll see really tall guys that don't use their length, mm. like they've never been taught or learned how to use distance and range. And be in range to be able to punch or kick them, and they're not in range to punch or kick you, and like finding that sweet spot there. It's a cheat code. You know? It's like yeah. controlling it. You control the distance of it too. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when I came up in MMA, one of the best things I did was uh, immerse myself in boxing 
like in the box i love the boxing community the environment in boxing is like blue collar you like put your no head down and get to work nobody cares you know mm -hmm. <laughs> like they don't care what your name is or who you are and i was always the guy coming into boxing gyms throughout the valley i do even fresno i've been i'm going to dinuba later tonight like there's a lot of little boxing gyms that are pretty good you know and I would always be the MMA guy. So I always went in like, these guys are going to take my head off. They're going to try to, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. so I had to earn respect because I'm not the boxer, you know. And so I feel like that helped me a lot with develop boxing that other MMA guys who just, just do MMA and they only train with other MMA guys, like they might miss, you know. I think I love boxing. Like if I could – Go back to being 15. I think <laughs> I'd become a boxer. boxer. <laughs> yeah, That's why you're out here too right now. You're training for boxing, correct? Mm -hmm. Out here mm -hmm. in Brasilia? Yeah, my boxing coach, uh, he's still my boxing coach even though we don't live. We still try to train together pretty consistently. Uh, Eloy Garza, uh, Garza Boxing. Uh, he just does it out of his garage. He's got a nice house over on the northwest side of town. He's got a three-car garage. He's turned into a gym. And he just has classes in there at night. He's a full-time English teacher uh, out in um, – Lindsay, I think. Mm. Lindsay, one of those smaller communities out that way. Um, and so yeah, he's a he's a badass boxing. Coach. That's dope, dude. That's sick, bro. You yeah. just open up the garage, go to work, and just I beat the shit out of each other. Like, why don't you open a gym and all that? He's like, I'm doing like I love doing this, and I don't. I'm a teacher, you know. I've got two, ki three kids, and a wife, and like I got all my life. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to be like so busy with like running a gym. Unless that's going to be his primary source of income, you know, like, so it's perfect for him and yeah. good for me. He does it for the love of the love of the sport, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's just he, something out of cool. chaining out of the garage, though, right? I mean, that's opening crazy, up the garage, right? beating the shit out of each other in the garage is something like a little different of a feeling. That's what you guys used to do when you guys lived together, but. <laughs> Actually, different. We did, yeah. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, God, sorry. Not bad, bro. So, yeah, so obviously we, we, we're going to get to the Ultimate Fighter, all, a lot of the stuff you got going on, uh, coming up. Um, but I want to take it back to your UFC career and how that went and how that progressed. I know, obviously, Danny mentioned in the beginning you've been hit with a lot of adversity and a lot of challenges your way, bro. So um, talk a little bit about your UFC career. I know obviously it didn't go the way you wanted it to go in the beginning. Um, and how you bounced back, bro, because bouncing back, you're out of the UFC for about eight years. Now to fast forward where you are now. Um, it, it's it's overcoming, bro. Like it's a story of overcoming constant obstacles. So I want to take it back to UFC career and uh, how you overcame some of those obstacles. Yeah, so I lost a con pretty a close fight, but I lost to Aljamain by decision. And then my next fight uh, was against a guy named Johnny Bedford out of Texas, and he was a heavy-handed dude. And I fought him in San Antonio, and uh, he hit me with a liver shot like the first 30 seconds of the fight, and I go reeling back like trying to protect my gut. And he came flying in with like a knee, like a flying knee, and missed. And I just came over the top with the right hand, and and uh, I dropped him. He like his head like bounced off the canvas. Mm. Like he was out, he like clearly, but he woke up like immediately. So the ref like jumped in, and then like I'm like looking at the ref because you can't jump in and stop a fight, and then take your hand out and be like never mind, keep mm -hmm. fighting. He's awake now. <laughs> it was just a weird finish, you know. And so I won the fight by technically by TKO. TKO yeah. But, like, it was kind of like, I don't know. There was just too much controversy around it. And so, like, it almost felt like you couldn't celebrate. Even though I won the fight. Like, I hit the dude. He went out. He woke up. Like, yeah. it is what it is. Hey, the dude, referees make so quick weird, decisions, bro. you know. And it was just a weird finish the way that the ref, like, went in and out. And so, like, it kind of, like, 
I don't know. I just felt like I didn't really get my first UFC win. You mm. know, like it, even though I did, like it's just like ah. I saw a little hesitation pride. too. Like I watched it that that fight, and you kind of you had the hesitation. Then you saw him get up, and you're like, you did your little jump around too. Yeah. That little hesitation, like oh, you saw him wake up. And well, because that's weird, in. bro. Because as a ref, it's so hard to judge. You see the guy, his lights are off. He bounces on, and then his lights are back on, and you're already ready to stop. Because obviously, when they're out, you don't want to. You're gonna jump in and just you know keep beating the shit out of him. So the ref doesn't want that. So. It's just weird, bro. It was a yeah, that, that clip that it was like really. Yeah, it was just kind of. I mean, I see both perspectives. Yeah. You know, so it's like I don't. It's like Win's I a understand win. it, but it definitely left me like, oh, it wasn't. I don't really count it, you know. And so then I fought uh, uh, Manny Gambirian, an mm-hmm. Armenian dude from Hollywood, who was on the Ultimate Fighter years ago. He actually made the finals against Nate Diaz. He fought mm-hmm. Nate Diaz in the finals. Um, little like bowling ball of an Armenian. Like that's pretty <laughs> much how you describe him. <laughs> He's like five five and like as wide as he is tall, like you know, and just like he had fought at fifty fives for most of his career, and then he dropped to forty fives for a while, and then this was his first fight at thirty fives. So I still had a size advantage as far as like length and height, and I was like I dropped him like two or three times in the fight, and it was pretty much just keeping him at length and like outstriking him. He couldn't take me down. I was like, all right, this is going perfectly. The first, you know round dominated and then the second round was dominating again and then the very end of the second round we get in like a scramble and he catches a guillotine mm. and i tapped with two seconds left on the oh, i saw that too you said you were you were kind of going to sleep at I that was time going so to you sleep, didn't know huh but i mean i don't know what would happen like you know it's it's always one of those things when you tap you like look back and like i shouldn't have you know mm-hmm. but like in the gym you and it's always different too because you're in the gym and you're like man i don't tap unless i'm like it, the window's closing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone to sleep several times in the gym because I just, you know, didn't want to. Just stubborn, you know, yeah. stubborn, thinking I could breathe okay, and the next thing you know, you're waking up and your coach is holding your, holding your feet up in the air, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I got tapped in that fight, and then uh, my last fight in the UFC was against a, a tough dude. He was 22 and one when I fought him. He was a Brazilian, and I fought him in Brazil, and uh, it was a close fight. Uh, some people thought I won, other people thought I lost, but it's hard to win a decision in Brazil against a Brazilian unless you dominate. Yeah. And so I lost a decision in, uh, down there, and then I was cut. So Damn. for me, like eight years was a long time, but I don't know. I just, I guess I never really thought about it. You know, <laughs> like I was fighting because I loved to fight. I was hoping to get back to the UFC, but if I didn't, I just, I don't know. My wife talks about that, like. Because you're only fighting it on the regional scene for like a couple thousand bucks, mm-hmm. like, and the amount of time and energy to prepare yourself for a fight, it doesn't add up. Like, mm-hmm. you, especially once you have kids and a family and you have a full time job, and you're like, the amount of time I'm spending out, you know, away from my family. Essentially, that's what family time is outside of work. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm taking time out of that to train for a fight that I'm making three grand if I if I win. You know, like, but I did that, you know, for eight years, and my wife is supportive and. I always kind of go back to her because she could have been like, hey, you're not making, yeah. you know, six-figure checks. Like, we don't, you shouldn't be doing this, you know. And yeah. so I just always had a, a like, a thought in my head, like, there's going to be a purpose, you know. Like, it's not for this three grand. It's for what's coming after that, you know. Like, you're going to put in this work and keep getting better and keep training. And, um, I mean, there were several times I, I wanted to quit. I, I retired for about a year and a half at one point. I was like, ah, oh, this isn't worth it anymore. I have a kid now, and like, ah, oh, I can't do it. And then you just get, I don't know. There's an itch. Keep you know? pushing, huh? And then you just keep going, and then it's crazy how it worked out. You know, I didn't think I was ever gonna go back in the UFC. I'm 35. Like, if you look at like the contender series, which is what they predominantly bring in, that's who they 
how they bring guys in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all 21-year-olds yep. with, like, shiny records. Like, oh, he's 8-0. No. He doesn't find anybody, but he's 8-0. No. <laughs> um, you know, and, like, those are, that's who they're going for. And so, for me, I was like, dude, I don't know if the UFC is ever going to come calling again. And so, and then they did. So, it was crazy. Yeah. Be- Do you want to get a little bit, like, about how they, they hit you back up, about getting back into it? Yeah, they hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this go down? This slid in the DMs? Yeah, literally. Changing times. <laughs> like, well, I, I was transitioning management companies. I was, I, I was leaving my old manager, and I had signed with a new one, a uh, new agency. And so I didn't have it on my Instagram because I was, like, literally in the process of doing it. Oh, gotcha. Like, getting out of this contract and getting things squared away with money and, like, okay, we're square, okay. And then going over to this dude and this agency and so i didn't really have a management there for like a month and so they were like hey we don't know who to contact we don't know who's managing you jason house was the guy i was with at iridium and he was like he says he's not you're not with him anymore i was like yeah i'm not and then so that's how it started dang yeah. that's crazy so ufc literally <laughs> shot their shot with you just slid all up in the dms like that that's crazy that yeah, lets man. you guys know like all you gotta do is slide in the dms sometimes well i thought at first like you know when you get dms like you don't <laughs> it's kind of fishy, like, bro. Yeah, it's like, yeah. is this really? <laughs> like, yeah, you don't know if it's bullshit, you know? And I sent like, you a link to sign the contract. What did it say? Like, like hey, this is so-and-so from it's the UFC. Yeah, pretty much. It yeah. was just like, I'm a producer for this sh- the Ultimate Fighter. We're going to do a season with vet- veterans at your weight, and we're interested in interviewing you for the position. And then I was kind of, I hit up my new manager. I was like, hey, see if this is for real. And then he came back and was like, yeah, it's for real. And then we set it up. And then they actually told me I didn't make it on the show uh, after I interviewed with them. And then, so I was like, just up and down, like the, the, you know what I mean? Just having to come over all these obstacles I too. Was, and I was almost on the ultimate fighter years ago. Uh, I gone to Vegas to the tryouts. They used to do tryouts and, uh, there like were like open tryouts or you had open to get tryouts. And so there were like three or 400 Bantamweights oh, shit. from all over the world. Damn. Like literally dudes from Ireland, like all over the world in Vegas for these tryouts. And, uh, the first you're in this giant room at a casino and you're just waiting your turn getting your number they like you have to grapple they make two they just pair you and then they have you grapple in front of like dana and everybody and then they're like scoring you and shit and then if you make it through that then you have to go hit pads and they watch you hit pads and then if you make it through that round then they interview you and then if you make it through that they keep you in vegas for a week and do medicals and then they send you home and that's so i went through that whole process it was like Willed it down. Uh, every round, they're, like, calling the names. It's like, think about back to, like, high school. If you made the team, your name's yeah. on the list, you know? And uh, made it through the whole thing. And then uh, they sent me. They sent us home after the week of medicals. And they said, okay, filming's going to start in, I don't remember, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it was. And But we, some of the fighters that were there for the week, we kind of realized, like, there's, like, 12 or 13 of us here. And I'm pretty sure there's only eight guys on the show. So we kind of had suspicions that maybe some of us were like alternates if someone doesn't pass medicals or gets injured or falls out like with an injury in the show, they'll bring Mm -hmm. in an alternate. And so sure enough, I was sitting him out with me subbing and I get a text from a random 702 Vegas number and they were like, oh, you didn't make it. And I was like, damn, "Damn." this was before I was ever in the UFC. It was my first tryout, you know, to get in. What year was this about? (sighs) Man, it was before the UFC, so... 2012, 2013. Yeah, like 2012, 2013, I'd say. Yeah. And 
Yeah, so it kind of came full circle for me to then have an opportunity. I mean, then you're 35, you don't think I'm going on the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, you know, like yeah. So it was kind of crazy. So it's been a roller coaster this whole way, then ups and downs and ups and downs. Yeah, and then they told me I didn't make it on the show, and I was like pissed. I was pissed because I was like, there's not a bantamweight in America who has my resume that's not in the UFC or signed to Bellator. Like there isn't one. Yeah. Like there, they don't exist. So I was pissed. I was pissed. Like I was legitimately pissed. Like, cause they got my hopes up, you know, but for a second time in a row, bro. That's yeah. <laughs> Did and that then, put like that chip on the shoulder for you going yeah. into the show once you came back? And so much of it's like, uh, producers make those decisions. Like oh, the UFC will say like, here's a crop of 20 guys and we're, any of these guys are good to be on the show. And then the producers are like, how are we going to, what kind of characters do we want on the mm. show? And so that, I think the first time and maybe the second time too, for whatever reason, I wasn't the character they wanted. And so. So it wasn't even really about talent at that point. Mm-hmm. They kind of want that person that. It's for the show. Yeah, Whatever. they want that showman. They want like that McGregor style guy, kind of. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. But then they called back like a week later and were like, "Never mind, you're on the show. Pack your bag." <laughs> He's like, "Fuck it, let's go." At that point, it's almost like you want to tell him, "Like, oh, I'll think about it." But then it's right. like, "No, nah, right. I got to go." Yeah, yeah. Did that change your mindset going into it. So, like, going into the show, knowing you're going back on there, did that change, like, that chip on that shoulder, like how you went in there, like, "All right, this is just purely business. I'm not fucking around." Or, well, what was funny was, so then, okay, you're on the show. So then pack your bags. I got to talk to my boss. Hey, I got to leave for six weeks Oh shit! during the school year. And, and the boss was like, all right, that's fine. Or Well, yeah. I mean, he was super supportive. He, I was like, how do I do this with HR? You know, I, so I had to go unpaid, you know, mm-hmm. the time I was gone. And, uh, but he was cool. I had to get it all squared away with my wife. And like, how are we going to do drop-offs with the kids? Cause she has a job, you know? And like, we're yeah. like, we kind of split some of those responsibilities. And so all those little things in life you got to figure out. And uh, then we get to Vegas, and we're stuck in a hotel for two weeks, um, isolated. Oh, I shit. think they do it on purpose to, to mess with you. Oh, your yeah, mind. your mindset. Because you're in a room by yourself in Vegas, just a random, like, Hilton type of hotel near the airport. Uh-huh. Not like the Strip or anything, you know. And you don't have a key card to get in and out of your room. Oh, so you're stuck in there. You're stuck in your room. And... You get to work out twice a day um, for one hour, roughly one hour increments. Uh-huh. And the first, you could decide on whether it's the gym, the hotel gym, the swimming pool, or road work. Just go on a run. Oh, shit. In Vegas. And so that's all you do. And then the first few days were cool because, not cool, but at least you were busy because you're doing medicals. Mm-hmm. And so you had the appointments and stuff. So there was kind of your day was you were getting, you were yeah, doing you were stuff. getting out of there, yeah. And then after like the first four days, we were supposed to start filming the next week. And they said, oh, Connor, uh schedule's not, you know, th- it was really the Connor McGregor show. Yeah. He was running the show. And his schedule dictated our, our schedule. Oh, shit. And so they were like, hey, he can't be here by Monday. So we're pushing it back a week. Damn. So then we were just stuck in that hotel for another week. And same like, thing. And then the medicals ended because we were done. And then you were literally just in your room, and it was pretty like kind of like personal legs. You're in the hole. You're solitary confinement. I'd be like looking through my people, <laughs> like if pe- you know, just like trying the to find the camera out there. You know, like it did was, you have a phone at that time at all? Yeah, they did let okay. us keep our phones. Did they feed you guys good at least? Yeah, they had uh, a bunch of like healthy Vegas like restaurants, oh, cool. okay. like uh, like protein shops and stuff like that. You know, That's and like dope. so we got to choose some pretty good food. And then we had meal preps, too. The second week, we did meal preps. So oh, they had a go. meal prep company come in. And we were all cutting weight. I logged 90 miles of Damn. running. Damn. Jesus Christ. 
Just I've done that like my whole life. Well, That's one, like my whole life of running. I'm not there well, yet. <laughs> I only knew about the show two weeks before we left. Oh, yeah, makes so sense. So I hadn't had a full like training camp. I was 160 pounds. You know? Like, oh, shit. So just getting my weight down to where I was it's in range Back to make to a it. cut, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was that was why I was running so much, you know, just like I'm going to get down. So you chose, like, I'm going to do the running portion of what you get, yeah. And I would just, yeah, you, I just need to be outside, you know, like, screw the, the sun, hotel dude. gym. Yeah, you, yeah, you want to get sunlight. You yeah, wanna... so I was just going outside a lot. And then on top of that, same thing as the first time I was trying to get on the show, we all knew there were more of us than we were going to be on the show. Mm. But this time we were in Vegas, and they just started cutting dudes. You, there's one dude, and I don't want to say his name. But uh, so and so, he was my next door neighbor, uh-huh. and uh, I'm sitting in my room like I always was, <laughs> and we're coming on the end of second week, and they're starting to cut people, and um, he, I hear his door get someone knock on his door, he opens it, I, I can't hear, but there's a conversation that's had, and then you just hear, fuck this, and he, <laughs> he like gets pissed. How long was he there before he got cut? Two weeks. Yeah, Two weeks crazy, of that yeah. prison, and just like, bye right, bye. Yeah, See you later. You don't make it. Damn. And so we were all on eggshells until we were, like, in the van, like, leaving for the Apex to start filming. Like, we didn't know up until that moment if we were going to be on the show. And then McGregor brought in a bunch of his Irish dudes. And so a couple of guys that were going to be on the show last minute got cut. So he could – a part of his clause was I get to bring in get to plug X and Y, God these guys. Damn. And so yeah, was, there's a couple dudes I knew – I didn't get on, and I was really bummed for you know. So it was pretty, uh, just a mind trip, you know, and like ups and downs of what's gonna. Like I remember having a convers, my last conversation with my phone before they took it, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like, "If you don't hear from me, that means I made it on. If I call you back in an hour, I'm probably gonna be pissed off. <laughs> I'm probably gonna be pissed off." <laughs> so it worked out, but yeah, it was pretty uh, nerve wracking, you know. Dude, two weeks, you don't know if you're on until you get on the fucking van to go to. Especially the, the no card, like not being able to leave your house. That that mess mess with your mental, literally bro. prison. Like, that's a lot. Did it? I, did yeah, you, my I, bad. I started putting a little thing in the door, just to walk around. Oh, you had like, to. Oh, oh shit. Oh, that way okay. I would just put the thing in the door, and then I would just like walk around the hotel. I would go down to the lobby and just like <laughs> walk around just to like get out of the room. Keep that sanity a little bit. Yeah, huh? like it was, yeah it was I would go rough. legit insane in there. It so, was kind of like that. So after seeing how it was with the whole McGregor show and everything, did it like change how you like viewed him or anything, or how did you how do you feel about it now? I so I knew Connor. We fought on the same card at UFC 170 in Vegas, and it, it was his first big fight. Mm. Like I think he was three and zero at the time in the UFC. He kind of had a lot of hype around him, but this was his first main card pay per view. He was fighting Dustin Poirier, their first fight. Oh shit, their first one. And um, it was on the main card, but it wasn't a main event or anything. He wasn't that big yet. Mm-hmm. And so we were fighting at the. It was either the Mandalay Bay or the MGM because I fought at both places. And um, the entire place, the entire casino, hotel, everything was nothing but Irish people. Holy like, shit. They literally took over Vegas. Whoa. And you know how like in – I mean, I don't know if you guys have been to Europe, but like when you go to like a football match in Europe and they're like chant down the streets and like they're like – they're fans. The whole, yeah, the whole city. It's yeah. like a th- big thing. You know, they're in bars like fucking hollering and drinking beer and like – they're rowdy, that you know? the whole culture. <laughs> that, that environment was the MGM or Mandalay Bay. I can't remember which one it was at. But uh, it was that environment in the casino. Oh, like shit. They were, running, they were running up and down the like The, the floor? You know, the floors. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a casino, so there's restaurants and casino, you know? And, like, mm. it's, 
and there was just like nothing but Irish people chanting, and it was, and that was when I was like sitting back, like, dude, I don't think this guy's the same as us. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a lot different. Huh? I think he's got a little more hype or a little more support. You know, he's a little bigger than we think. Like, that's when you kind of knew he had that star quality about mm-hmm. him. And that was the moment. And we had the same manager actually, uh, Audi Atar from Paradigm Sports Management in Irvine, California. Um, and he's still with Audi. And uh, so I knew, knew him a little bit and seen him around. Um, but I was never a big fan of like I was a fan of his fighting, mm-hmm. but not really his antics. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, to each their own. But he just wasn't my cup of tea, you know. So, uh, I wasn't really like. So were you kind of glad that you got paired up with Michael Chandler? Because for me, I love Michael Chandler. I love how humble he is, how he's transparent, the things he says. Like to me, he's like he like preaches basically. Like I love what he's about. Were you? Did you feel like you were kind of like meant to be paired up with him? And then how was that being paired up with him? When I went on the show, my mentality was I'm here to fight. Mm-hmm. Don't let any of this other stuff get in your way. Don't get caught up in the glitz and the glamour and the cameras and the interviews and all the shit. Part of being a veteran, right? You know, like, like stay true to what, what are you here to do? You hmm. know, you're here to fight two fights, win those fights to make the finals, and then go win the finals as a finale. Like, that's mm-hmm. it. Everything else is secondary. And so that was my mentality. And so my mentality was I didn't care what team I was on. Like, I was like, I don't care. I'm here to fight. You know, like, that's uh-huh. it. At the end of the day, they're going to lock that door, and I'm going to get in that cage, and that's what's going to happen. So, Exactly. Whatever. I kept telling myself and writing in my little journal, control what you can control. Let the rest roll off because you can't control it. And um, so at first I didn't care. I was like, I don't care. And then in retrospect, yeah, I'm glad I was on Chandler's team. <laughs> I feel like you guys like I feel like you guys were meant to pair up too. Yeah. Because I think after that first fight, one of the the main things that I saw that he talked about, he talked about when you went up to him, you guys touched hands or whatever, and then he talked about the confidence of it. Do you feel like him and his team helped you with that confidence a little bit? Yeah, I think. What's weird is I've been in the UFC, been fighting for 15, 16 years. I fought world champions, title challengers, top 10 guys. Like, I've fought a lot of dudes. But I've always struggled with confidence, you know, uh-huh. even with all that. And I still struggle with confidence, you know? I fight, yeah, something like, we all do kind of, yeah. And so, like, for him, and I don't train at a gym with, like, 50 UFC fighters. I'm not at one of these giant gyms. Mm-hmm. So, for me, like, not only being able to train alongside other competitors that are in the UFC level – but also having coaches like Chandler and Ryan Bader and Robert Drysdale and these guys that are all super top of their class, like mm-hmm. people, and they're having confidence in you. Like, I don't know. That helped me for sure. You Feeds know? off you mm-hmm. a little bit, huh? Walk see, watch on is his brand. That's his? This is his brand, Walk On. And it's uh, the term Walk On means – so when he was uh, coming out of high school, he didn't get a scholarship to go wrestle. Mm-hmm. And so he walked on to the Missouri wrestling team, and then he became like a badass All-American for him. And so it, the mentality, his whole thing is like the mentality of walk on, like that walk on mentality. Like yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like the blue chip prospect dude. I'm like the walk on, and like having that mentality, even if you are the blue chip prospect dude. But you know what I mean? Just always that mentality, and I try to keep that too. You yeah, know, you like, have to have pr- like because other people, you know, they get like they want you to be there. They pay for the scholarships for the walk on though. Like it's not guaranteed. You have to go in there. You have to prove it to yourself. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's dope. That, that mentality of that is something way different too. Cause you never know if you're going to make the team, but you have to go in there with that chip on your shoulder and really put it all in for it. You got to prove it. Yeah. And so I, I don't know that meant that attitude of like, put your head down, blue collar work, you know, nothing's given to you. Like everything's earned. There's going to be no handouts, you know? And like that mentality, I think is something that resonates with me. And so, 
Yeah, I don't know. It worked out. We fit well together, you know. Well, you guys are doing pretty good. I mean, you, but your team's 5-0 and <laughs> o right now, so obviously he's doing something good. So. And everybody on the Internet's like, oh, this isn't a surprise. No wonder. You got veterans fighting prospects. But at the end of the day, like, what happens when you get signed to the UFC? You get a fight. They schedule you for a fight, yep. most likely with someone who has already had UFC Experience. fights. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So you're our, every entry UFC guy is fighting a veteran of the UFC. You know what I mean? So it's like, I just feel like if Chandler these guys are ready, then they should be able to compete and beat some of us. You know what I mean? Yeah, it shouldn't even matter. I just feel like Chandler's more of like a leader, though. You know what I mean? I feel like he's just not necessarily better at motivating, but he just he has that like that dad. he's just naturally a dad like he can lead someone in there give them what they need to know and like that's why i like him personally i, I watch this shit every day i'm not gonna lie to you guys what i really <laughs> liked what i really liked about his coaching style was we had a morning practice that was a team practice um and then our after our evening practice was individual so if you wanted to go work wall work with drysdale or ground game stuff or you wanted to go hit mitts or you wanted to do a conditioning workout because you were fighting, you know, maybe sooner or whatever. Whatever you wanted to do, the coaches were all at little stations, and you can go and pick their brain, or you can go and do that, you know? Uh -huh. mm. If you wanted to have a lighter workout because your fight's coming up and maybe you don't need to be putting in, like, pushing your body, you know, mm. it might be on the, like, the, like kind of getting yourself ready for the fight mode, you know? So I like that he, like, listened to us, and it wasn't just like, this is the way we're doing it, and this is you're either going to like it or not, you know? It was very, like catered to our needs and it almost made you feel like you're a prima donna a little bit you know like oh, yeah. he gave me a full rub down massage holy like, shit. for 60 minutes damn Jared, he's a, a whole damn. hour like, i'm like dude was it good dude it was legit <laughs> <laughs> he's just built bro chandler's built so I, 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 Nate's, Nate's like, like, Nate's like bro that's my dream bro to get rubbed down by <laughs> my Michael chandler bro like i feel like it was cool man he was like we used to do this in missouri on fridays after the practice we you pick a partner and you guys give each other a quick massage I was like, hey. I'm down I'm for it. I get 60 minutes out, of this. I'm not complaining. <laughs> How'd you feel about the rankings, though? How they put you at four, and then you were going against number one. He's a prospect. Did that put a chip so on your shoulder, too? When we – they told us how it was going to work, and they were like, all right, you're going to go do a workout with your coach, and then they're going to seed you one through four, and then those seedings will determine our matchup. Mm -hmm. So if ones will face fours and all that, you know. And uh, Chandler told us, I'm not going to do seedings. He was like – I have matchups that I like. So he went matchup based. And if I have a decision, like if say McGregor says, I'm going to next, I'm calling up my number three lightweight. And so that would mean the number, whatever light lightweight from the other team is going to fight him. He would base his decision in the moment on what matchups he liked, who he thought would be better. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that was what he told us. Okay. And I think he told us two reasons I think he did that one there might have been actual strategy there mm -hmm. like I like matchups and if I have opportunities to put matchups together I like I'm gonna do that which makes more sense anyways but two he might have also been like I don't want to mind mess these guys minds up by and putting like, a rank you're the on fourth you. seed mm -hmm. means I don't think you're as good as this guy and then like what does that do to a guy who's about to fight that Michael Chandler's you. telling him that you know mm -hmm. like so I think I and how much of it was true or how much of it wasn't, I don't know. Well, the shit worked. worked, though. <laughs> the worked. shit worked, bro. I hey. mean, you got the highlight reel of sports. Center, I, was, like. I, had a, I had a chip on my – a new chip on my shoulder when they seen me fourth, even though he told us that's that. That's what I was it thinking. still bothered That's me. what I wanted to know because, like, dude, that's, like, their number one guy. And yeah. he kind of seemed like a little dickhead or whatever. But then you came in there and handled that shit, bro. Like, Mondo is a good dude. Likes to talk a lot, but he's a really good <laughs> That's a part of it, though. That's a part of it, though. And he's a hustler, man. He's actually a, a pretty famous barber. 
I seen that. He yeah. cut up, yeah. He, he cut McGregor's hair, but he's cut like a bunch of NFL players' hair. Oh, shit. And he's he's a Michigan-based dude, so he does a lot of, like, he's almost like a celebrity barber dude over there. Got mm. you. Oh, that's and dope. So, and he's, yeah, he's a good dude. I like him. I always, I told him at the end of the show, I was like, you're going to be successful in life. You have a mentality of being successful. Like, he doesn't let, he got jacked up in that fight. He tore yeah. a part of his eye. God damn. He didn't tear the retina, thank God. Because that's like a career ender for most most of the time, um, but he tore something in his orbital wall or something, and his had cuts and stuff. That dude was on the treadmill the next day, trying to get his weight down. Because he said, if someone drops off, maybe I can get back on. And uh. I was like, and I'm, just, I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, bro. I don't know if you understand how the athletic commissions work, but you ain't fighting again in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> but that mentality, though, that of mentality, being ready, yeah, like being he, ready. Like, his mentality was anything could happen. Mm -hmm. I, he told me straight up, he was like, "We, I think we're still going to meet in the finals. Like, he he surprised me, and he, he definitely, like, earned my respect in the house. Not his, like, blah, blah, blah. But how like, he is as a fighter. Like, his work ethic. Like that that work ethic, I was like, all right, you're going to be successful, you know. Maybe not today, but it might be tomorrow. But <laughs> he's like, maybe not today. Yeah. I know his cheek was all cut. Yeah, man, yeah. you put in work on him. I was like, damn. <laughs> that was a good shot. What goes through your, what goes that your head after shot. that first win? So after that first flying win, what goes through your head? Like, as soon as soon as they called it off, referee steps in. What's going through your head? Uh, I was worried about the fight. I mean, I I respected his skills. He's a good grapple, really good jujitsu. Uh, and so I was like, all right. I have a tough fight in front of me. He was our number one seed, I think, for a reason, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I think I was – there was one thing that McGregor said, and most of the time that guy talks, I'm just like, I have no idea what you just said, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Not only because of the language barrier, but also, like, you're just ranting, and I don't even understand what you're saying. He's like, is he? But every now and then he'll, like, say something that, like, hits, you know? And he said – Mondo actually on that episode asked him, what do you think about uh, before you get in the cage, like, when you're in the back? What goes through your head? And you could tell he struggled to answer that question because it is a difficult question to answer because every fight's different. Mm. There's fights I've been too relaxed. Like, dude, I need, to, I need to wake up, man. I'm about to go fight. I don't know why I'm so chill. And there's fights I've been overly nervous where I'm like, why am I so nervous, you know? And one of the things he said was like, you're going to have different emotions. One thing to always keep take into account is that in the other locker room, the same exact thing's happening. So don't think you're alone. Mm. everybody's going through these things and two whatever the emotions you're having are let them be that's what it's supposed to be whatever the emotion is don't in your mind be like why am i so why am i so chill right now i should be more amped and have negative thoughts mm. or don't be like why am i so nervous right now i've got knots in my stomach and have negative thoughts this must not be going good you know what i mean so whatever the emotion you're having is is the emotion you're supposed to be having and just let that ride with it and be like this is what's supposed to be and you're getting in the cage no matter what. <laughs> like, just <laughs> don't fight it. Go with the flow. But there's been several times I've walked to the cage. I've been like, why the hell do I do this? Like, ner just the amount of nerves, you know? And you're like, why do I do this? I'm never doing this again. Does it change once <laughs> you, know? you get like, in that ring? And after you're like, yeah. book the next closes. fight. <laughs> well, once the fight starts and you get slapped around a little bit. You're you like, fuck it, we're in right, here now. We're in fight. <laughs> that's important, though, bro. I feel like that's that's something, I mean, people watching at home, you guys can use at home as well, right? I mean, even for this podcast, I know yeah. driving here, to be honest, we were like playing motivation music. We're like trying to pump ourselves. We're like, fuck, we got Cody Gibson on today. We got to pump ourselves <laughs> up. But like, it's that nerves, bro. But if, like you said, if we use it, we just welcome those, welcome whatever yeah. feelings come that day and kind of just roll with it. I mean, that's, that's solid, I thought bro. that was interesting. That, that stuck with me. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to start thinking more like that. Don't let negative thoughts come in your mind in the back. Be constantly like, this is what it's supposed to feel like because it is feeling like that, you know, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So, 
I like that mentality. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's pretty. Because it's real easy, bro. Whenever you have nerves, I feel like to think super negative, mm-hmm. like. Am I supposed to be here? Am I doing something right? Am I doing something wrong? Should I not be here? You know, there's so many thoughts that come with imposter nerves. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. We all fight with that shit. Yeah. Did you ever get that while being on the show, bro? The imposter syndrome of growing up in a small town like Visalia, Central Valley, going all the way to Las Vegas, being on TV, all these big lights and stuff? I'm just a regular guy. I, I think the fact that I'm still a teacher, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like still got a day job, still drop my kids off at daycare like everybody else, you know, yeah. like... That's cool. Dude. I still just train with my guys at the gym. Like, I don't know. Well, you have the passion for it, too. Like you said, you were, like, in wrestling, you're like, damn, I went 0-27. Yeah. You're more there for, like, the passion of it and the love the of growth, it, too. Like, it's made me into the person I am. Like, fighting has molded me, mm-hmm. and it's, like, forged me, you know? And so, yeah, for me, like, it's more about that than anything, you know? At the end of the day, you want to be able to, like, hang your hat and be like, I, this is how far I got. I was ranked number seven in the world at one point or whatever you, the highest mm-hmm. point you get, you know, whatever that is, I want to find that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if that's number one, then that's awesome. But if that's number six, that's, that's, just, if that, I'm going to hang my hat sooner than later from doing this. Cause I'm 35, almost 36 and wherever I land, like I'll, I'll be fine with, because I know like you put in the work, you changed, you, you learned about discipline like, I wasn't disciplined at 21, 22. Like, not like I am now. My mm-hmm. wife's, like, the one who tells me all the time, but you're so much more disciplined with your diet. You're so much more disciplined with recovery, with vitamins you take. Like, everything's dialed, not always dialed in, but you try to be dialed in all the time. And so, I don't know. I'd like to think that I could take the lessons you learn in it and apply them to other avenues of life, you know? Like, whatever you're into, whether mm-hmm. you're in a podcast, you're opening a gym, like, you have that mentality, the discipline. I always talk about discipline over motivation, you know? All like the that, time, That yep. resonates with me so much. You're not going to always true, be motivated, man. yeah. Because you do have, like, ups and downs of motivation. I've had fights I've gotten that I wasn't excited about. Like, eh, this guy's, eh, I'm not really excited. Like, beating him doesn't really do much for me. I mm-hmm. guess it keep, gets, gives me a few grand, keeps me busy, but I don't really like this fight. I want a, I want a tougher fight. I want a bigger name. And so you you don't have motivation. So like, okay, if I don't have motivation, well, I got to rely on something else to mm-hmm. get my ass to the gym at five in the morning or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. That lesson to me, discipline over motivation. Like, I don't know. It's always resonated with me. No, hundred percent. And that kind of that's one thing that, like you said too, with your age. I turned thirty this year. Damn, I'm old. But I turned thirty <laughs> this year, and I feel like it's, it just switched over this year, where everything's different, more dialed in. You know, my kid's three now. She's having sentences coming out. So it's like, mm-hmm. and then taking that discipline and that, like you said, every aspect of your life and then teaching it to my kid and trying to pass it on. That's been something really big for me this year too. And I feel like that's what I'm seeing the most benefits out of everything else. Every, I'm reaping what I sow now because of that. And so it's been, it helped me out a lot too. Cause in my twenties, I was not disciplined at all. I was, you know what I mean? Like I was like your cousins when we're going deep sea, like I'm still drinking. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm not even thinking about tomorrow. So yeah. that's definitely one of the things too I've been focused on this year too, is just that mo- not even worried about motivation, just getting that discipline and keeping going. Cause your motivation is going to go up and down, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to be very motivated and other times you're not going to f- be motivated at all. And so you have to build traits and habits. You know, we were talking about energy drinks earlier and we were talking about, I'll, I try not to drink energy drinks. Yeah, I know they're not good for you. Even the zero cow ones, are, it's not That's good. That's what gets me, bro. Because I, I see zero calories, yeah. zero sugar, and yeah, I told yeah. this guy, yeah. I was like, bro, they're good. Like, I'm doing good. Celsius, <laughs> please. Yeah, <laughs> Celsius, they used to sponsor me back before they Did were they, before they were big. Yeah, big, big. Dude, I love, I've, Dude, I drink I like three Celsius a day. Oh, Did you? Yeah. yeah. Dude, they're so fucking good, though. They are good. I have like three a day. It's bad. But Damn. it's a habit, right? Mm-hmm. If 100%. I find myself, if I buy an energy drink, I get off work, I'm going to the gym, 
and I go get one for that 3, 4 p.m. pickup before the night training, then I find myself doing it again the next day and the next day, and then I'm like, have to stop after four or five days. Like, I need to break this habit because mm-hmm. it's getting to become a habit. And then the same thing is with work ethic. If you build habits, mm-hmm. uh, positive habits, the same as negative habits, drinking, energy drinks, whatever, like just build a shit ton of positive ones. And the, yeah, the, every day, yeah, I like to do this thing on the calendar where like I'll do a dot and I'll just keep that line going. So if I go to the gym or I do running, right? Fucking hate running. I'll just I'll keep that line going. Whenever I don't do it, I break that line, and then I get down on myself because I didn't keep it going. So I'll start it again. And my my goal though is to keep that line going as cross as long as I can. Yeah. And it might be running, or it might be you know just studying, or even like learning something new. But I like to do that to keep that consistency going, and the, like you said, that discipline on doing the shit that you don't necessarily want to do all the time, but it's it's gonna benefit you in the long run. And I think on top of that, like. How do you say this? I used to write my fight camps, like my schedule, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the camp, and um, I had to stick to that schedule. Like, no matter how I felt, no matter if I was injured, I, if I have it written down that I have a jiu-jitsu, I'm going to it at 6 o'clock. You're doing it. I'm going. Mm-hmm. Like, and, it, and if you fumble or if something comes up or life happens and, like, you can't do a workout – that's on your schedule, like, I would just mind screw myself, like, oh, I'm, I'm not putting in the work, I'm, I'm a loser, I, uh-huh. I, I'm not, you know, and then, like, and so I think you find, like, discipline is, like, you're gonna do it, like, it's not a question of whether I'm feeling great or not, but you also have to listen to your body and have to know, like, when to take that pause. Is doing a, a workout that I can only put in 50, 60% on because I'm hurt or tired or sore or whatever worth it, or maybe skipping that one so I can put in 100% in the night train. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, knowing when. Yeah, knowing. And I think that just came with years of doing it, you know? That's true, yeah. My wife helps me a lot with that. Like, don't beat yourself up all the time if, like, you're feeling a certain way, like, and it's better to rest. Like, that's a part of your training. Mm. And I think learning that rest and recovery were a part of my training regimen. Just as important. Just as important as the training. And if that wasn't dialed in, then the, no matter how much I train, it don't matter. Like, I'm going to have shittier training sessions. And it's not going to be, you know, so I think in my 20s, that's like I said, in my 20s, I was like, Fuck, I don't need rest. I'm Superman. I can go all day long. And then now I'm like, bro, like I can't drinking now affects me a little oh, bit. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, I can't. I need to start drinking water in between my <laughs> drinks now. Like it changes a little bit. It makes you think about like the, the, the consequences of shit now, you know, and back in my 20s, I didn't really care about it. Versus now I'm like, I think about all of that. My daughter's getting into skateboarding. Oh, wow. We have, uh, she does the scootering and she does, we got her skateboard too. And uh, we have a skate park in Templeton, and then there's a, a really badass uh, indoor skate park in Tascadero. And so I've been taking her to the skate parks and stuff, and I, I used to skate a lot. And I wasn't, like, badass, but I was pretty good. You know, like, I'd, I'd skate the bowl and stuff. You oh, know, yeah, like, the bowl. You know, and I freaking took her skateboard, and it's a full, pretty – I'm not a full-size, but it's pretty close to a full-size skateboard. And uh, I was tried to drop in. And I was like, nah. Not the same. See, think about those consequences, <laughs> think right? Think about the repercussions. You're if like, I fall, like. Like, this hip ain't going to feel the same uh, after. Yeah, so. So I want to touch on family a little bit, too. How was it being away from your family while being on the show? How did that affect you? And then was that, that was something that was on your mind a lot? Because I know for me, when I don't have my kid for, like, the three days I don't have her, I'm like, damn, I kind of miss her. First, like, that last day she goes back to her mom. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to give you back a little bit. But that time <laughs> yeah, when I don't yeah, have yeah. her, it's like, ah. That was the hardest part. That was what I knew was going to be the hardest part was being away for six weeks without contact and then my wife actually had surgery while i was gone mm-hmm. and she had a skin cancer that she had to have removed oh shit okay and i mean it wasn't like a super invasive thing but 
I mean, it's still a, you want to be there for that. Yeah, though. You, you want to be, be there, there for your partner, you yeah. know, and, and like my mom actually had to go over and be with her. Uh, and luckily the producers, I asked them like, will you reach out to her after the surgery and just make sure she's okay? Can you at least tell me that? Uh, and they did. And so shout out to mom though, handling yeah. it for yeah, you. My mom did, it down. Yeah. But yeah, that was the hardest part. And my three year old, so I have a seven year old just turned seven mm -hmm. is my oldest daughter and my three and a half year old daughter. Um, you know, you have a three year old every, uh -huh. when you're with them every day, you don't notice the changes as much at all until you like watch videos or something and like oh they, they've really changed a lot like a month like even a month ago mm -hmm. or a week ago i'm like how in the hell so when i came back from the show my daughter had changed she wasn't mm -hmm. the same her vocabulary had changed she was she had a, a larger vocabulary sentences are like her, crazy even now. her like balance was a little better mm -hmm. like little things that you don't notice on the day-to-day -day, but then if you leave for six weeks and come back you're like it was trippy. No, it is. It was almost sad, you know. Like I was like, I missed, felt like you missed out on core. I missed something, but know? it wasn't too bad. Like it's it's not yeah. as bad, but yeah, as a dad, you want to be there for every single moment. Yeah. That was the same thing too. She goes to school during the week, but I work during the week, so she's with her mom, and she'll come back new sentences. Like she's telling me, like I'm happy or I'm not happy or I'm sad. And I'm like, dude, like it's crazy that you're like learning all of this day to day, yeah. and it's like literally like almost they grow day to day at that age. So it's it's really crazy to see that. Yeah, that was hard. Um, yeah, that was definitely the hardest part was being away from my family. Like, cause I'm just like, now I'm just a dad. Like, no, yeah, me you too. Know, once like, you get in dad mode and dad life, like, I'm mowing the yard on the weekends. <laughs> like, like, I don't. Dude, I know, me too. I'm just a dad now. Like, I don't really do anything fun. I don't go out to drink anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm literally a dad. And I got the weekends too, so I don't do shit. Literally. Yeah. Like, yeah. my, my, my day for me is like going to the beach or like hitting the park. Like, oh, that's a good day for me. Or mm -hmm. watching the movies because she goes to movies now. She can be quiet. I'm like, all right, we can actually watch a movie now. I went and saw Little Mermaid the other day with both of them. Did you? <laughs> hey, I know. That's going to be our next one we're going to watch too. Solid. They did okay. They get all antsy by like, the, it's a long movie. It is, yeah. yeah so I have her sit on my lap because we tried, we got her, her own seat and then like by the end she starts getting tired so like she'll sit with us so yeah. i kind of figured it out but yeah they get that little antsiness a little little bit during covid we've rented the movie theater you know you could do that uh -huh. and they were younger then you know it was a couple of years ago but they literally just did laps around the theater <laughs> and we were just like well there's only like four of us in here yeah i guess it works you know? yeah so yeah how's it transitioning though from being like you know teacher dad to now getting kind of back in the spotlight how are you transitioning with that does it feel kind of crazy surreal or it's i mean I don't know. Like, I just always like I'm just a normal dude. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Just a normal guy. People like to watch people fight each other, and that just happens to be the thing I like to do. So, you know, if I was an accountant, nobody would give a shit. I could be the best accountant <laughs> in the world. You know, like we had this conversation too you about know? the basketball player. Like, like sometimes pitch. we get really good at our uh -huh. job, and like sometimes our job is really fucking cool. Or some like in your case, sometimes it's not. Yeah. Like, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know. Everybody's striving to be the best at something. Yeah. You know. 100%. Hopefully, is, yeah, hopefully you're trying to be the best at what you do. Whatever it is, like find the thing that, make, that makes you tick and then try to be the best of that, you know? Everyone's on a different journey, bro. And on the topic of like journeys, bro, like if someone's at home, they're watching, because obviously here on the area, there's a lot of amateur shows and people are just trying to come up, bro. If someone's trying to make it to the UFC at home, what's some advice you can give them being in the UFC, having gone through the whole journey on how they can get to the UFC as well? I think being smart about who you're surrounding yourself with you know, making sure you're with the right people that are teaching you and kind of guiding your career. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just got fortunate, you know. I went, I started training with Tom Knox when I finally started, when I started taking the sport seriously after I had my first three pro, pro fights, moved back here and 
he was a great jujitsu coach. He's badass too. You know? He has a big reputation out here. Mm-hmm. Tom. He's uh so Tom Tom Knox was a is most famous for pro skateboarding. He was a legitimate he beat Tony Hawk in t- tournaments. Like he has a bracket where he beat Tony Hawk. Oh shit. Holy like, fuck. Wow. I didn't know that. So he was like in the nineteen eighties when street skating was just blowing up, he was the guy. Like he was one of the main guys mm-hmm. on the he was sponsored by Santa Cruz. And they just came out with a new line of his stuff, like retro stuff, like old stuff. I was in a skate shop at the Central Coast and saw some wheels with his name on it. I sent him a message. He was like, hey, I bought these wheels. (laughs) Freaking 40 bucks, dude. I was like, but they had your name on it, so I had to grab them. So he was known for skateboarding. And then obviously he's a badass at jiu-jitsu, which kind of there's a lot of comparable things there with Mm -hmm. balance and core strength and those sort of things. So, uh yeah, I came up under him, and then I found Eloy Garza, my boxing coach, and it was just, I feel like, really made me a better striker. I trained a lot with Doug Marshall for a lot of years in Muay Thai. Actually, I um, so I trained his brother, Blake, his younger yeah, brother, yeah. and he, we actually had a conversation about you, too, and he said you're just an overall good dude, too. So I heard Doug's a beast, too, actually. Yeah, Doug's, he's a savage. He's, yeah, he's kind of He's crazy. still at it, too, I think. I think he's still fighting. I don't know if he's fighting. Or you want to go to Bear Knuckle or something, right? His, he had a that? girlfriend who was doing bare knuckle. Who uh-huh. was, he was like training her. I think they split up. I don't know. That's yeah, that's crazy. But that's just that's no crazy. joke, bro. Doug's like, got a good heart. You know, he don't always make the best decisions, but he's got a good heart. Yeah, he really does. He's <laughs> no, like, I, yeah. Like for being like you see him and you're like, okay, here's this scary dude. Looks like he might be a skinhead. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know. Yeah, no, like, I know. Yeah. But he actually has a really good heart, you know, <laughs> and he's a good dude. Bro, we interviewed him. We interviewed yeah. him at his gym for like uh, another amateur promotion, and we interviewed him. Like we were walking up to him, and it was that same thing. I'm like, it's intimidating. This guy's like, either hey, gonna like shit. blow us off, bro, or it's gonna go really good. Like it hey. was cool. He was a cool guy. Yeah. I'd be too scared to go in there. I'm not <laughs> he's gonna lie. He's got stories, man. <laughs> like from he did he did some time, you know, mm-hmm. and he hurt some people. Like he was wild. No, I know, yeah, dude. You can see that in him, bro. Yeah, he's really calmed down. Me and Blake are like this, bro. So he tells me a little bit of stories. I hear some, (laughs) some things. But yeah, I just think for a guy coming up in the sport, surround yourself with good people. You know, like you're only gonna be as good as the people around you and the coaches that you have. And then, I don't know. Like for me, it was just like just staying with it, like constantly learning, never thinking you're you didn't you didn't you weren't learning. I still to this day, like every day, I'm like, what am I learning today? How am I getting better? You mm-hmm. know, like if you don't, I think it gets very, really easy to just go to practice mm. and not really like, well, I'm just here to sweat. And there might be days that that's what you're there to do. I just need to get a workout in. And I, but more often than not, it's like you have to have intent with what you're there for and be focused on like getting better. Like you have to be real with yourself. I'm not good enough yet. Mm. You know, and like I got to get better. How am I going to do it? And then I guess just I've been fortunate just to have surrounding myself with really good people. You know, and even moving over to the Central Coast and having a team out there, the pit and those guys and the experience they have. And we're not a huge team, but again, I've always thought I had the op- I've really had the opportunity. I was at a crossroads uh, by the time I went to the UFC was like, should I move to Sacramento or maybe Florida and train with a, one of these bigger like gyms with like 50 UFC fighters? Because they have them, you know, like American Top Team, Team Alpha Male. There's these gyms that have huge teams. Of fighters and I chose not to and I think that that worked out for me because I had coaches who were invested in me you know like they didn't have 10 UFC guys 20 UFC guys on their roster so they were really invested in me and so I think that for me that worked out really well 
you know, you don't have to come from a big gym. So there's one thing I did want to talk to you about when I was doing like the research and everything. Um, your little brother has CP, right? So growing up, my aunt had CP as well. So when she was little, she fell into a pool. And so um, like a lot of people can't understand her. She's in a wheelchair. But she went to college, though, really funny, super cool. And she does like a lot of like uh, work for like uh, special needs and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see your background, too, and see how humble you are like as a person. Do you think that a lot of that kind of shaped you as who you are because for me i was like fucking five six seven like we'd be out in walmart she's in a wheelchair and like i'll see people like staring at her and like i automatically want to fight them a little bit because i didn't like that shit i'm gonna be honest with yeah. you because a lot of people don't have someone like in their life that has special needs or that you know what i mean that deals with that and as a like a 10 year old a 12 year old you don't understand that about the person who's staring exactly like, you're just like why are you staring at my brother mm -hmm. like you know, and, like, I had that mentality. Because I was, like, dude, I was, like, seven, eight. We're in Walmart. People were staring. Like, I'd get mad, honestly. But she's, like, no. Like, it's she was explaining to me, like, people aren't really, like, being they're negative. To, they're not used to it. Some mm -hmm. people have, you know, they just, they just, they're not used to seeing that. Especially, yeah. like, in the 90s and, like, yeah. early 2000s. She's in a wheelchair. So I just want to see how that, like, molded you a little bit. Because I don't feel like I have a lot of people I could talk to about with I, that, you know. So I have two brothers with special needs. Um, Joshua uh, is three years younger than me. And uh, he was a preemie, so he was born in six months instead mm. of nine. Oh, wow, okay. And back at night, he was born in 1990. And so back then, the technology wasn't what it was today, is it today. My wife's a NICU nurse, so she works mm. with, like, sick babies. Oh, see, my kid was in there for, like, five months, too. Uh, she might have been there. She was at Kauia for many years. We were at uh, Valley Children's, oh, okay, though. Yeah, yeah, she had gastroschisis, so we were oh, in there for shit. five months. It was grueling, terrible. That's that's rough. Mm -hmm. my, mine had RSV when she was a newborn. Oh, wow. Is yeah. RSV, is that what they have? I think, yeah, I think it's it is. A, like that. It's a respiratory one. Mm -hmm. And we were at the Children's Hospital up there for a couple of weeks, and it was hard. It was hard because you're just like, the f you, I can't do anything. Yeah, know? and then your kid's in there, and then we were in there for so long, like, I seen all the other kids that were in there. Some didn't have their parents visiting. So like, oh, dude. dude, it was like so emotional. And it was during 2020 when COVID. Oh, so it's just three and a half. Yeah, so it was like it was just fucking terrible, dude. Damn. But yeah, so I grew up with two brothers. So Josh had CP. Um, he only had, you know, he didn't have any mental. He has a master's degree. The kid's killing it. Um, but he obviously couldn't walk the same as everybody else. Walked on his toes. Mm -hmm. If you were to walk up to me and like give me a light shove, I would just go like this. He would, like, go stumbling back, you know? Mm -hmm. He didn't have the balance. Uh, but we got him into wrestling. He wrestled all through high school. Oh, shit. Um, and he would just drop to his knees as soon as the match started and wrestle from his knees. <laughs> and he was a 103-pounder and weighed about 80 pounds his senior year. Oh, like, shit. he was tiny, you know? Uh -huh. um, and then my youngest brother, Jacob, is severely mentally and physically handicapped. Uh, he had a – got wrapped around the umbilical cord when he was a ba – when he was coming out and uh, had to cut off the circulation of his brain mm. and uh, – He's just, uh, I, would, I would say his, like, mental capabilities are that of, like, a two- or three-year-old. Mm. Um, he doesn't talk. He's blind. He's in a wheelchair. Uh, he's got a feeding tube now. Um, but the one thing that kept intact with him was his emotions. Like, he's going to laugh if you think something's funny or you, like, make a funny noise. He'll, he'll be mad at you if he hasn't seen you in a while. Oh, he knows, like, huh? Like, usually since I live out of town now, when I come back to visit, the first visit with him is not a good one. Because he's, like, mad at me. From not being, like, being around. where you been, motherfucker? Yeah, <laughs> like, he better come visit anymore. Yeah, and then, like, the second time, third, it gets better. And then, like, all of a sudden, then he's, like, happy, happy with that you you're again there more. and stuff, you know? So, I guess he's, like, it made me, like, understand, like, the perspective of life. Like, mm. or, like, I guess you just sometimes find yourself, like, bitching about things about life. Like, this has been hard for me, or this was hard for me, or mm -hmm. this, you know, I got screwed here. And, like, 
and then you like look at someone who's like who really has it rough you know mm-hmm. and like ha- and yeah i think it makes you reevaluate like, like the perspective of it like is crazy yeah so and i grown like you said like growing up with that Going on family vacations was hard, you know, like, because we got wheelchairs. All the extra, dude, yeah. Like, so we, we got the blue handicap things. We're parking hella close. Yeah, that's but a dude, the, like, hey, hey, go to Disneyland with her. It's the best. It is. <laughs> I should. <laughs> we freaking get to the front of the line. Every time. Every yeah. time. I ride everything, like, a million times. It's the best. She's hella that's funny, too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. She's funny as shit. She uh, has, yeah? like, the dirtiest jokes. But more than any <laughs> fucking buddy would know. But you wouldn't even expect it. But And, like I said, she's an advocate, too. She's on the board for, like, the state. So she does a lot with it. And nice. it's, she doesn't let her set her back at all. And she doesn't, like, taking hands handouts and shit like that so yeah. it's really cool but like you said it really does put things in perspective a mm. lot especially when i feel like i'm going through some shit i'm like yeah. fuck all right you really you got a little bit harder than i do <laughs> right yeah and i just i definitely i think you, you touched on like um make i think just humbles you and makes you like i don't know just i think it's giving me empathy for other people in life a different type of empathy, different type of empathy that some people don't have you know, nowadays like, i feel instead of being like judgmental or like oh you're lazy you're a loser this like everybody's got their own story. They've been going up their own way. And I'm not saying we're not responsible for our actions and like everything like that. And, and I, I believe in all that, you know, but like everybody's got their own story. And mm. what's crazy, I think being a teacher too, sometimes you'll find out about kids' stories. And oh, you'll be yeah. like, holy shit. And they're like so young too. Yeah. And you're just like, you had no idea, you know? And like, I got a kid, like there's a kid in my school who's, um, he's going blind. Oh, like oh. he's diagnosed with like whatever the disease he has, mm-hmm. he's slowly going blind. Like he can still see right now, but it's but over. by the time he's twenty, he ain't gonna see a thing. Damn. Mm-hmm. And like, like every kid, that's just one example. But like, when I've learned that about that kid, like how now I'm viewing that kid differently, and mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, you empathize so much mm-hmm. more, yeah. And then yeah. he knows that too, so yeah, it's like, and he's like aware of it, you know. It's like, yeah. So I think that for me, that gave me a lot of that, you know, empathy. And both my parents work in nonprofits, and my mom's the director for United Cerebral Palsy, which does special needs stuff. Oh wow, right okay. Hanford. Um, they, their main office is in Fresno, but they're, they have a branch in Hanford that's been there for 30, 40 years. And so she's there. And, uh, my dad's right across the street from oh, this gym right here. Next door, right? Yeah. Parenting network. So, and they do a lot of in the community. They do like a trunk for treat and like they do a bunch of different free babysitting. Um, so say like families lost jobs and they, they help them get employed mm-hmm. and then they give them free babysitting Oh shit! so that that's not a barrier for them, you know, and like there's different programs within the nonprofit, but, um, they do a lot within the community. So yeah, I'm all, I'm all for the nonprofits and doing things that help bring us all up as a community, as opposed to me as an individual. So no, much, I agree. You know? Yeah. Some people so. are just selfish, man. So that's why, I, that's why I wanted to ask you about that too, just cause I feel like. It's something that gets overlooked a lot, and, you mm. know, we, we see people, like, in wheelchairs or something like that, and we kind of just, like, people just kind of turn the other eye, but, you know, we had to deal with it or grow up with it or just have that personal connection, so, and like, not a lot of people have that with somebody. I think, for for me, because I'm so used to being around special needs people, mm-hmm. um, like, I was at, I told you I took my daughters to see The Little Mermaid the other day, huh. and they went in the women's restroom after the movie, and when my girl's without mom there, I can't go in. And they uh, know that. Yeah. So they're like goofing around in there. I don't know what they're doing in there, you know? And so I'm standing outside the wet restroom waiting for them. And this uh, family with two Down syndromes kids, or they weren't kids, they were adults. Mm-hmm. There was a mom and dad that were older and two people. I don't know if they were brother or sister, maybe Mary. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But two Down syndrome people. And I just walk up and start having a conversation with them about the movie because I saw them in the movie. There wasn't that many people in there. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes they're like taken back. But I think if more people just like, like these people just want to be a part of the, the community they and have knowledge. They want to be, be seen. They, they're people they have, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, sometimes I feel like I always make myself do that. Like go have conversations 
when other people would just like uh look at them and kind of walk Straight away away yeah you know and like i'll just like go and ask, hey what'd you think of the movie you know just ask them a stupid question or whatever mm-hmm. but they're like taken back by it you know and then like the dad's like kind of like is this they're almost on guard, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you, and then you start talking, and then all of a sudden the guard comes down, you know. Mm-hmm. But I always try to do that because yeah, me too. Because people like, I think they do like get where they, people are afraid, mm-hmm. they're uncomfortable, so they're they're automatic like, to triggers it. like to just like get away from the situation. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good, man. Yeah, that's crazy. I just want to see what you thought about that. So, and then another thing I want to talk about too. Um, so your family reached out to you, right? Your sister, I believe, reached out to you from your biological family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that go down? And um, you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so I was adopted and my brother was adopted together. We're, we're biologically half brothers. And uh, our mom was like 16, 15 when she had us. She was on drugs. His dad was a druggie. My dad was in prison for like 25 years. He was a drug trafficker uh, from Mexico. He was a diesel truck driver that turned into a drug trafficker, oh, um, and he was hauling, like, lots of drugs. So Side <laughs> He did, like, 20-some-odd years. Oh, um, and uh, so, yeah, when we got adopted, I, you know, I grew up knowing I was adopted, and I was always the curious one. My brother could care less. He's like, ah, whatever. He's like, ah, these are my parents. Fuck they it. They raised me. Like, he just doesn't have, like, the same level of curiosity that I do that I'm like, Ancestor.com, DNA, 23 oh, and me. He's like, all spitting the two. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can lose weight with this, too. Like, yeah, it's like, and so I've always been more curious, you know, just mm-hmm. not even, like, I needed it. Like, I didn't need to, like, have relationships with them. Or just anything. naturally kind of. But I'm just curious as to what my, you know, you always think about nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And, like, how much of this is genetic? What are some of the things I'm predisposed to? That you, like, naturally. Like, naturally. Yeah. Like, I know I'm an addict. I have an addictive personality. Whatever Damn I'm doing, energy drinks. Is ad- I'm addicted to it. So I either knowing, I think if you admit that and you know that about yourself and you're like, okay, if I'm, you know, I've had my moments in my early twenties where I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a fringe alcoholic here. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like, feel like a lot of us in our twenties like though. I, but it was like bad. Like, yeah, I was there like, too. like this isn't like you're worse than everybody else in your group. You know, uh-huh. like, yeah, like yeah. it was like, and so then you learn like about yourself and you're like, I think I have an addictive personality because whatever I do, I'm like dive in like crazy and straight on with you it. Know? Yeah. Like it's all my focus for every, every waking moment of the day is all I'm thinking about is that. That's mm-hmm. good though, bro. Cause I feel like that's, that's a trait that most successful people have, whether it's business, whether it's fighting, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever it is, if you can channel it to be the right, that's the key, right? Yeah. Using be it as addicted like a positive, in the, in the yeah. positive things as opposed mm-hmm. to negative things. Yep. And so once I learned that about myself, you know. And then just channel it. <laughs> and the right things. So. Yeah, because it could go south pretty quick. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but I think that was a part of it for me was learning about my history and where I came from. And I, yeah, my sister had known about us her whole life. Oh, shit. And we had never known about her. Uh-huh. And we kind of assumed, Whoa. like, we probably got half-brothers or brothers out, sisters out there. I don't know. You know, they probably got around uh-huh. <laughs> in that environment, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, when she reached out to us. And then we they came out here uh, and met. They stayed with us and and hung out for a week or so and then i flew out there um this a couple of years ago and so we try to every couple of years make it one of us make a trip mm-hmm. uh she's got kids and a husband and uh, i get along with her husband really well and he takes me fishing and in oklahoma there's so many <laughs> weird fish like prehistoric looking fish there's oh like shit a, a like garth. pokemon you ever heard of a garth uh-uh. no it looks like an alligator mark <laughs> really it's got like an <laughs> and they bite you what the like, fuck they, 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 they like take a f- hand off god well, damn is that like lakers or like rivers just yeah, like ponds, oh lakes, shit. Red River. Yeah, they're called Garth. I think I'm probably saying it wrong. Garth, Garth. I think it's called. 
Look it up on my Instagram because I have a picture with one. <laughs> it's there. So we would catch them, and then when you catch them, because you can't get like close to them because they literally will bite your hand off. Oh, so shit. you beat them with a club so catch to, to knock them out. <laughs> and that's how you catch them? You just got to beat well, this shit out of them? catch them like a normal fishing. Like you f- oh, but once you reel it in, you, you got to lay it on. You got to put it in like, sleep. You got to grab it by the mouth. You got to knock it out. <laughs> beat it to death. Even, in, even in fishing, bro, you find your way getting back to that bite. bro. <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, so I, you know, now I just have a relationship with them. I met my mom and my birth mother, my birth father. I went back and met them. Um, still struggling in some ways, uh, but doing, like, my birth father's uh, sober. Been sober, he's been out of prison. Uh, he actually just lost his wife, so I, mm. I talked to him a lot recently. Um, but yeah, it's not really a thing where I have to have a relationship with him, but it was like, I needed to answer questions about myself, why I, why I am the way I am, why I tick the way I tick, and some of that is genetic. Oh yeah, like, it's it is embedded in, in your environment. Like, 100%. And so yeah, for me it's just been like a ongoing process, you know, and I think it's been good for me, you know. So you're glad that you got to reconnect with everybody then. Yeah, and it's cool to have a relationship with a sister that you didn't know you had, you know, and like Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's kind of wild, you know. Cuz you had brothers the whole time, <laughs> I right? I had three like, brothers nothing but up. brothers. Yeah, so. my whole life I never had a sister, so. And then how long ago was it uh, that she hit you up? It was probably like 2014, 2015, so it's mm. been a little while now, okay. you know, and just, it's been, we have our challenges because it's hard to build a relationship when it doesn't seem, it's just hard. We've been apart for so long and you grew up without that person, it's just like, so, it's kind of like foreign, you know, it's like meeting like a, like a stranger, you know? It really is, yeah. and so we're, it's taken us time to say like, hey, we need to work on this and try to build this authentically and not Organic like force it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a half sister too. She always lived with her mom, but they lived uh, in Corona, California, uh-huh. like down south. Down south yeah. So like I didn't, we really didn't hang out too much. And then they moved to Dallas too. So just figuring out the time to going out there, figuring out the time between her and her husband and me and my kid and just yeah. FaceTiming and going out to Dallas here and there. So I kind of get it too a little bit. Yeah. So it's been a challenge, honestly, but we've, we're trying, you know, we continue to try to build a relationship with her kids are all wrestling. Oh shit, that's so, so cool. cool. It's they, in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah, and they uh they watch the fights and they're like uh, fucking my little nephew dude. will go to school and be like, Oh my my uncle's fighting Connor McGregor and I'm like, I'm not quite <laughs> not quite fighting Connor McGregor, but he you could cut tell your friends. So You were about to, no? Like in the sense where I, I heard a story well, on, on the Ultimate Fighter where like your night before the weight cut, right? When you were night before weigh ins, he was like being super loud, running around the house, super crazy, right? Yeah. The that proper 12, man. <laughs> they stacked that. That whole thing was just like capitalism on steroids. Like <laughs> the whole house was stocked with proper 12, McGregor fast protein, uh, forged Irish stouts, which is another one of his newer companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds bomb, though. And then they, I didn't try one until after the show, but the, I'm not, I don't even like stouts, but it but was it pretty hit. good. It Dude, pretty Irish good. stouts, <laughs> low key, though. <laughs> I'm about to go get some now. And then title, I'm, I'm doing all this uh, promos for this guy now. But Tidal Cream, it's a, it's just like a lidocaine menthol cream. Mm. Okay. Sore muscles like Bengay almost, you know? Gotcha, yeah. Um, but he has it marketed. But it's just one. Irish. And those are all Mark- McGregor's brands. So They're the all his brands. They shipped them in the house? The whole house was full of them. Uh. And they had reps coming in to make sure displays were up. For every like, single fucking shot? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, we didn't have enough counter space for shit. And we had, like... 3,000 proper 12 bottles. <laughs> <laughs> and bro, none of us are drinking, really, because we're all, you know, like... It's just yeah, fucking there. Training, yeah, I saw that, too. Yeah. Like, it's just there's so fucking much shit in there. And we would always be complaining, like, can we move some of these bottles so we could put our bread? Like, or whatever, like, <laughs> like food we need. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was just, like, kind of ridiculous. Nutritional but, shit, please? It was very, uh, yeah. You were doing a lot of promos for that kind of shit. How was it being... Okay, because you're, like, an- not anti-social media. But you're like, oh, whatever about it. How was it being around, like, 
all those people in a house. Like, you're stuck with these people now. Being, like, from just a dad, you know, all the stuff. Like, now you're stuck with, like, a bunch of young bucks and some veterans, you know? It was cool in some ways, like, especially with the veterans. You know, the young guys were loud and kind of obnoxious at times, but they were all good people. Like, we didn't have any, like, real <laughs> shitty guys mm -hmm. who were just, like, only one, actually, but... <laughs> Um, he's not in the group chat, right? He's not in the group chat. I heard about that. He's not yeah. going to be in the group chat. We got chat. 15 in the group chat, and he's the only one who's not. He knows <laughs> hey, who he is. He knows why. Um, but uh, the older guys, it was cool because everybody had a crazy story. Like, And what was crazy was like Jason Knight is from like, like the sticks, like the sticks, like in Mississippi. Mm. Oh, like, shit. Like, like swamp land. You were like, riding gators and no, like yeah. literally riding gators. He's authentic as shit. Like that's what he is. And Roosevelt Roberts grew up in like uh, Florida in like this like Kimbo days. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, no, I was, I was, that, he almost got in a fight like, with one of the dudes in there too, right? Yeah, and so he lives in L.A. right now. He's actually trying to get back to Florida, but he straight up grew up in the streets. Like mm. getting, he was in juvie in and out, went to prison for a little while. Like, like that was his life. Like real shit. Yeah. And so you think those two people come from completely different walks of life. They both struggled though. Those two guys have the best bond of anyone in the house. And it's because like the universal things they had dealt with. Mm -hmm. So even though you think of a dude who grew up in urban hood and you think of a dude who grew up in the sticks, well, they're going to have different political beliefs. They're going to have different everything. But no, because of those guys' universal struggles, like they struggles bonded like same, crazy, yeah. and it was cool to see stuff like that, you know, because it was like made me sit back and realize like we're all we're not as different as we think, you know, mm -hmm. like people. Yeah, like, they grow up in different cultures and environments. Like you're not as different because certain things are universal for everybody, you know. So that was a cool experience, just and then hearing their some of their stories and some of their struggles, and so was, you're not alone, you know. The other guys doing the same damn thing. So yeah, it was fun. And what yeah. did they call you on there? What did they say? Who did so, they compare you to? Carlos Vera. Uh, he lives in Washington, D.C. He's from Ecuador originally. Um, he said, uh, Cody, you know what you remind me of? And I said, what? And he said, uh, um, what's his <laughs> name? Clint Eastwood. Clint off, Eastwood. Uh, Hold on. No, hear this. Clint Eastwood off Gran Torino. You're like <laughs> an old grumpy man. And I was like, <laughs> I just straight looked at him and I was like, that was the greatest compliment anyone's ever given me. Give him the backstory of why. That's, that's what I'm shooting for, man. That's give, what I'm shooting Give for. them the backstory of why they told you that. Because they were being, they were doing their thing and like being loud and whatever. I don't, I didn't even say anything when they were being loud. Like whatever. I, I would try to put the earplugs in my ears, but I have cauliflower ears. So they'd always fall out. <laughs> You're like trying to jam them in there. You know, like I'm pretty sure I'm doing damage, you know? Like, <laughs> And uh, anyway, I was walking through the house at like 11 o'clock at night to go pee. And they were all still in the living room, like shooting the shit and just being loud. Like a lot of East Coast guys to kind of have that loud mentality. And uh, <laughs> I just stopped. I was like half asleep. And I, usually I kept my mouth shut, but I was just like kind of over it. Uh -huh. And I was like, you guys ever, uh, you ever think about, um, do you ever think, you ever, or do you ever stop to think about how like the loudest guys in this house are the youngest guys in this house? And it was like dead silent. They're all just staring at me. And then I just like grunted and kept walking to the bathroom. And then like the next day he gave me that line. And I was like, thank you. Like, that, That's like the best thing I could be. Yeah, I guess I'm ready to be the old guy who's like looking around at the world. Like I don't get anything anymore. Yeah. All right, bro. So last, uh, before we end up wrapping up the podcast today, I uh, really appreciate you coming on, by the way, bro. We know you're super busy and you're training, all the stuff you got going on. You're a big mm -hmm. family man as well. Uh, but a little bit of rapid fire questions. We, uh, whenever we told everyone, a couple of our friend group, we're going to get you on the podcast today. Uh, a couple of different questions they had. Um, yeah, a couple of different questions, man. So they want, one of the first ones is your top, top three UFC fighters of all time that, 
that are on your favorite list? Ooh. Nick Diaz, number one. Ooh, let's go. Ooh. He's my favorite. Uh, even though he owes me $2,000, but that's another story. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Wait, why? Can you, can you say why? I love it. So he did a, he did a show. In Stockton, uh-huh. he, he tried to dip his hat in the promoting game before game before Masvidal did or anything. This was back in like 2013, 14, something like that. Oh, right right before I was back. in the UFC, not too long before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went and fought one of his guys in Stockton, and I was uh, I was brought up to lose. That's like, in their territory, yeah. Too. And so the yeah. whole anyway, his guy was a jiu-jitsu guy, like a brown belt and under Caesar Gracie, really good jiu-jitsu guy. We fought in a boxing ring. And uh, the whole place would booed me, and I came in, you know, because he was a Stockton guy and everything. And then the dude kept sitting on his butt, like he didn't want to strike, uh, and he couldn't take me down. So he would just like, as soon as we engaged, he would like sit down on his butt, like come. The jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, yeah. And uh, I would just back up and say, stand up, you know, you have to engage me. Like, I don't have to go to the ground with you. Yeah. yeah. And so the referee kept warning him, and it ended up, I dropped him a couple times and just ended up TKOing him, but. I don't even know how much of it was a TKO and him just kept dropping to his butt. Every time he got touched, <laughs> he would just act like he got – not act like he got yeah. knocked down, but he'd fall down. He trying to play take you to the game, ground. Yeah. <laughs> Come down here. That's all yeah. I well, – my only hope is to get you in my guard. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, um, anyway, the, the crowd turned midway through the fight and, like, was rooting for me because they were like, this guy's finally right. <laughs> And, uh, anyway, I broke my hand in the fight, and he had the fight covered by State Athletic Commission. Everything was legit. I get home. I get an x-ray on my hand. They're like, okay, your hand's broken, this or that. I had to do these things, and I had, like, a medical bill that the California State Athletic Commission is supposed to pay because mm. the promotion they pays the commission to sanction their show, and part mm. of that's insurance. So if you get injured in the fight, your bill is good. 100% covered by the athletic commission. That's the whole yeah. purpose of an athletic that's, commission. That's good. That's a good insurance policy, bro. Yeah. Right? Except? Except <laughs> he already paid the money. To have the athletic commission there, to have the insurance, you already paid the money from the promoter standpoint. You're yeah. not paying anything more now that I need reimbursement. This is the insurance's job. Yeah. But I have to go through the promoter to go through the insurance. All Nick had to do was sign the paper. Goddamn. And I freaking reached out for like three months to him, to his people. Couldn't get him to sign the freaking paper, and I got stuck with like a $2,000 bill. Uh, come I, on, Nick. Then I got into <laughs> come it with on. him in Vegas. I seen him at a, at a bar at a casino in Vegas years later, and I walked straight up to him, and I was like, hey, you owe me $2,000. <laughs> and he you had get the bill in your wallet, stuff, dude. He'd been drinking, so we like ended up just shooting the shit. And he's like my favorite fighter, so like yeah. can't really be mad at him. Too <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do wish he would have gave me that, that sign that paper. But uh, silly story, Nick. <laughs> it's not too late, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick Diaz is number one. Okay. Uh, man, that's tough. Top three ever. Top three ever. ever. That's hard. Man, I really like uh, the Diaz brothers are my my guys. It's been their mentality. Um, who else? Who else do I just love watching fight? Give me all time too. Past, present. I think. Uh, I like watching Justin Gaethje fight. Like, mm. I know he's present, but Bulldog. I just like guys that every time they get in there, you know it's going to be a car crash. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, you know it's going to be a freaking insane. Yep. There's going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs, and you're dominating, and then you're dropped on your ass. Like, it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, those kind of guys excite me and make me want to watch. So, I guess I would say Justin Gaethje, at least currently, is a guy I can't miss watching. If he's fighting, I'm watching. Like, there's no question. 
Um, same with Michael Chandler, too. I mean, he's been fighting like that since he yeah. got in the Boy. That's a solid top three right there, <laughs> bro. So you got Diaz, you got Gaethje, and you got Chandler. That's I don't know if they're my all-time, like, three yeah. favorites, but that's just off the top oh, of my fucking head. Fucking Chandler, bro. Sorry. A fucking <laughs> idol, bro. He's such a good dude. I think you got to idol yourself after a good person. <laughs> All right, bro. So <laughs> those are solid top three, bro. So next question we had on the on the list is, uh, what is your all-time favorite UFC moment? Uh, after my first UFC fight, it was a pay-per-view, and I just got lucky enough to fight on a pay-per-view in Vegas. And uh, we were at the casino afterwards, and I see Bruce Buffer uh, playing blackjack. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, guys, that's Bruce, Bruce Buffer, Buffer. Yeah, it's Bruce playing Buffer. blackjack. So I was like, I'm going to go play with him. So I go, I don't even, I didn't even look at what it was, what the game was, what the entry was. Nothing. You just wanted to play it. Like, fuck it. Have to sit at the same so table. So I sit next to him. There's no one at his table. He's by himself at a table. So I sit next to him and I was like, hey, Bruce, you called my fight tonight and kind of introduced myself again to him. You know, he probably didn't remember me or anything. And so you get this talking. The dealer's like, are you, are you in? You're sitting at the table. You like, play. Yeah, yeah, deal me in, you know. <laughs> $50 hands. Oh, shit. And so I was like. Okay, so I'll just go to the $5 tables usually, but okay. You know, <laughs> Step up a little bit. Yeah, so I play a hand. I'm talking to Bruce, having a good conversation. I lose. I was like, okay, play another hand, put another 52, like, chips down. Dude, I lost, like, four or five in a row. And I was I just lost, like, 300 bucks. <laughs> it's like that quick. In a matter of minutes, you know? And then I was like, we're still talking, and I was like, all right, Bruce. Uh, thanks I for talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the end of our conversation. I got to get off this I table. I can't afford the rest of this conversation yeah, right it's now. It's like I just had a $300 <laughs> seven-minute conversation with Bruce Buffer. <laughs> it's Bruce Buffer, though, bro. It like, was cool. You that's know? a once-in-a-lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that so. is a, that, dude, that's a once-in-a-lifetime. Bro, that's, that's like, funny. But the fact that he called called your fiber, like, as far as introduced you, like, Cody, the renegade. Uh, gives it. Like, bro, that's like a bucket list thing, I feel like, is hearing him announce your fight. You know, hearing yeah. him announce you come in is, like, nuts. It is cool. I mean, the UFC is cool and everything and all of that, but at the end of the day, like, the sport is the same thing, whether you're at fighting to the Taji Palace or Eagle Mountain Casino or 559 fights. Like, you get in a cage, they lock the door, and you got to fight somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it don't matter where. None of the Nothing else matters. Like, the, uh, the size of the stadium, the magnitude of the event, the what's on the line for that fight. It's a title fight. It's this or that. Like, at the end of the day, it's the same mm-hmm. thing every single time you get in there. So try to, I always try to remind myself of that when you're like, because yeah. you can get starstruck. It kind of brings you back know? down. Yeah, it's yeah. like stop mm-hmm. stop acting like this is bigger than you. Like you can do it. You, you know? got here for a reason. Yeah. You're there so for a reason. That's how yeah. I try to think about it. But That's crazy, bro. And then last question is uh, just kind of like this kind of comes from personal. It's just uh, we've always been um, kind of watching like Dana White, his biz- business moves he's always made kind of just coming up in the UFC. So uh, what's your take on Dana White and how has it been working with Dana White? Again, I think fighters deserve more money, and I think Dana White's a big reason as to why we don't have that more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate to get back in the UFC. If you know, if we'll see how things end up going here. But um, I know he's made a lot of great business moves. You know, for MMA, for the UFC, mm-hmm. you got to respect all the things he's done for the sport for sure. And I've never been in his position in his shoes, so I didn't. I wasn't. I've never. You know. He, he, his job is different. Like, I, I don't have any experience, so that's just right off the bat. But I don't know, man. I think uh, <laughs> I think fighters uh, fighters need to stand up for each other, for, each other, for the sport. They yeah. want to legitimate. They want to pretend like we're an NFL level, we're NBA level, we're that of this sport. Then we should be getting paid that, that amount of money, you know? Like, 
too many fighters I know struggle, you know, and even in the UFC, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're at the top of the bill, like it's a struggle sometimes. And so, and people don't take into account all the expenses, you know, like, yeah, you might've made 60, 80 grand, a hundred grand in that fight. But like how much of it's going to a manager, how much of it's going to your coaches, how much, you know, like all these, how much goes to taxes because you're an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. And so how long were you training for that fight? How too? Many, yeah. How much training was involved? How many hours of training just for that fight, let alone your whole career of training, you know? So I don't know. I feel like as a fighter, like, you know, the, the risk of what you're doing. Like I look at every fight, like I could die. I, I'm here to, I will die in here. Like that's my mentality. Like I'll die in here. Like, and so, you know, and you see people and you see injuries and you see older fighters and, you know, there's all that, all the concerns about CTE and everything. So, you know what you're like, I already kind of came to terms with it. Like, I'm going to be old and crippled. Like, it's part of the profession. It is what it is. You still love it. You know, like, I'd rather do it than not do it. So I'm, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you, when you start to grapple with all those things you go through and, put into it like you want to you want to get reap the rewards you know so i'm still trying to re- reap them and uh yeah dana's obviously done a lot for the sport but yeah i don't know <laughs> 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 gotta get that fighter face <laughs> <up, man. laughs> my wife will tell my wife would say keep my mouth shut yeah thank you so much bro we appreciate you being on today and there's one question final question we wanted to end it off with uh it's yeah. like a signature all aces podcast question that we have and it's kind of like a situational base bro where i want you to picture young Cody, right? Maybe before you got in the UFC, maybe when you were just kind of fighting the, the smaller promotions where you didn't really know if, if it could be a career or maybe even before you started fighting, bro, where it was kind of like you had that anger and you didn't really know where to channel it. What's some advice you would give younger Cody on just letting you know that everything's going to be okay and everything's just going to work out? You guys have hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> got to make you think a little bit. Give myself advice? Um, man, I don't know. I, I guess if you're trying to give yourself advice... You're really talking about regrets you have, like mm. the things you would have done differently if you could go back and tell yourself, like, hey, do this differently, you know? Um, I don't know, though, because I think, like, I'm still on the journey, so I'm like, would I change anything? Mm. I don't know where this is going to end, you know? So maybe the, the 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 peaks and the valleys and everything that goes along with it, like, all happened because they had to happen because the the X at the end of this road is better than it would be you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to be like, you should have gone back and done this. And then like, well, you don't know if that would have in the long run. You know, that was something Chandler had said actually on the show was like, sometimes like bad things happen in your life or things that are perceived as negative. Like I lost the job or I didn't get the promotion or I didn't get the championship or I lost the fight or whatever it is. And you think this is horrible for my life. And then, like, 10 years later, you realize, actually, that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, losing that, missing out on that. And so, like, I don't know. It's hard to be, like, it's hard to think about regrets. You can have them. Like, I have them. Like, I, th- I have things, like, I would tell myself, like, you should do this differently or that. But then, I don't know, maybe ask me in three or four years when I'm retired and uh, <laughs> I'm fighting and be, like. You got one, three or four. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll come back here, bro. So whenever you do retire. We'll have another podcast, and we'll come back here. We'll kind of shoot, shoot some more. Recap it. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you for, you know, taking your time out of your day, your crazy training schedule to come see us and, you know, open up, give us a little bit of backstory about you and about everything. And um, also, thank you, Ronnie, for letting us be here at Absolute Body Armor. If you guys have a kid, 
that you want to get in shape for their sport, whatever sport it is. He's going to get you right, fast twitch, slow twitch. Even if you're trying to get in shape, this is the place to go to. Let me tell you, we got a lot of stuff coming this way, so be ready for it. Talk about the facility, too, man. The facility, if you guys didn't know, this is the facility right here. It's a huge facility Top right here in Marcelia. Top tier, the lighting looks cool, equipment's a 10 out of 10, and uh, these guys have a really good vibe to them, man. So if you're in Visalia, in anywhere on this Tulare County area, or if you're for Fresno, man, make sure you make the trip, come down to this gym, and uh, he'll get you right, man. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for watching at home. Appreciate you guys. Any, any last stuff to add, guys? Um, I just want to say, man, that your story, man, is so weird because I know for sure, like I said in the beginning, man, it's going to inspire a lot of people because some people want to quit after a year or two of doing something. They try a business, they try a diet, they try whatever they're trying, right? And they want to quit after a year or two. And um, you never gave up or you never quit at the eight, nine years. And, uh, you know, you're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. And like you said, I mean, you don't know where it's going to go. But um, and maybe nobody has ever knows where it's going to go. But you never gave up on yourself and you never gave up on your dream. And you're still pushing, man. So, um if, if there's one lesson you could take away, it's just don't fucking give up. Uh, you're a year or two in. Still, it's still, there's still plenty of time. Don't give up, man. So, uh, thank you for your time, bro, and uh, thank you for. Oh, there was a lot of good lessons, bro, within your story. So, I uh, really appreciate your sharing, mm -hmm. man. Opening up and you know, be, be just keeping it real. Putting it on for the valley, bro. You inspire yeah. us, bro. Even as something like a podcast has nothing to do with athletics, but like for us, when we don't get like we don't have anything going on. We're like super small podcast. We're like, damn, well, this stuff like that. Hearing your story, bro. You kept going. You, you lost. 27 matches in a row and you still kept going so for us we're like damn bro this is easy like we can just keep uh -huh. let's just keep rolling with the podcast and this is fun so you inspire us bro from especially mm -hmm. being from the central valley small town and uh you're putting on bro so well, i appreciate it thanks for having me on guys this is uh it's cool to see anyone in the valley you know even like talking to you right now just for a few minutes and like people that are trying that are doing stuff that are trying you know trying not to set the bars or setting the bar higher, you know, and like we could push further just because we're from the five, five, nine and we're not in LA or we're not in the Bay. I don't mean shit. Like, yep. you know, like we could do big things right here in the Valley. And, um, it's cool to see you guys doing stuff like this. I, I saw your guys' podcast when you hit me up and I was like, I didn't even know you, you know? And I like, started <laughs> looking, I, know you, I started yeah. looking at you a little bit and like your page and like your, your podcast. And I was like, dude, these guys are doing some good shit. No, we appreciate so, that. Appreciate I know. That, I was man. like hoping we could get you on too. I was like, oh, okay. Who do I know? Like they said, we we're trying to look at how we could get in and my client and your wife. And I was like, oh, we're going through the wife. We got to get this one in, man. <laughs> this has to be the way to go. And then, so yeah, I really appreciate you, man. Like I really, yeah. really appreciate you taking the time out of here and you know, just Thanks. like they said, sharing more than just, you know, that surface level. Like you you gave a lot in here. You like I mean you've overcome a lot and so mm -hmm. just your story, man. I'm still processing everything. This is definitely by far my favorite one so far that we've had well, for a, a plethora of reasons. So I just I, I really thank you for coming out of here and really taking your time and being genuine with us. Thank 100%. You guys. I'm gonna have to come work out here now. Let's go, let's run it. <laughs> let's roll. Let's do it. All right, guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. Appreciate all the love you're always showing us. Make sure if you haven't yet, tune into the Ultimate Fighter to watch Cody. He's going after it, man. And uh, you haven't tuned in yet, man. You're in for a show. So appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.